Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and in these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both myentworld, my ENT world. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recordings. You can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast. We have so much content happening right now. Um, but you're here for Corona Cold Reads for Shakespeare. Um, so these are cold reads for the most part. Uh, our actors n- did not have more than a day, maybe two, if they're lucky, um, to look over the text if they wanted to. Most of them didn't have the chance to. So it is just them sitting down and reading it cold. Um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. So today's play is Henry the Sixth Part One. Uh, this is where it gets really kind of hard to follow in my opinion um i we just read these and i definitely could not really tell you what happens in henry the sixth for sure i do know that reading henry the sixth definitely helped me understand richard the third um which is a play i know quite well um but the henry the sixth is sixes there's three of them um they they remain a little bit a little bit vague to me um, mostly what stands out about Henry the Sixth Part One. So this is the one. Um, basically, we learn what happened to Henry the Fifth, um, who was our hero of the last play, and actually the last three plays. Really, um, we learn what happened to him and sort of the the failure that is his son. Uh, we sort of kick off the beginning of that reign, um, and we meet like his his wife for the first time, who's going to become a major foreplay figure. 
one of Shakespeare's greatest who is um, maybe not, she doesn't really have the reputation of being one of Shakespeare's greatest women. Mostly, I think, because people don't really produce the Henry VI plays, um, which I used to think was very odd and frustrating because um, I want everybody to do all of the canon because I've, you know, I've seen Hamlet 472 times, but I've never seen Henry VI. And then I read them, and now I know why no one does them. So you're forgiven, uh, theater companies everywhere. But one of the great pleasures of Henry VI is the Margaret arc. Um, she starts as a young woman in this play, and then we see her as an old woman in Richard III, and there's a whole arc in between. She's the only character who's in four four plays. She speaks more than any other woman in the canon. She really is a remarkable creature. And uh, this is the introduction of Susan Bond playing that part, who is a Toronto dramaturg who is just so smart and so wonderful. And she's not an actress, but she loves Margaret. And so we were talking because she's a member of Corona Cold or Corona Movie Club. And I told her we were going to be doing the Henry ad, and she just was like, Margaret lives right next to my heart, which is a phrase I use. That's not what she said. Um, but something something like that along something along those lines and i'm so happy that we we had her do it because that passion for the character and also the deep understanding of the character especially in such opaque plays um i think really comes through and really elevates uh the next four plays that you're about to hear uh starting with this one so henry six part one We've got the the sort of what happens to Henry V, the introduction of Henry VI, the event, the introduction of Margaret as a young woman, and then um, we also have an arc about Joan of Arc. Haha. Um, so yeah, a lot of this play is set in France, and our readers really took that to heart early on in the reading. Anne Van Leeuwen, the great Anne Van Leeuwen, posted in the chat for the for the Zoom call guys, should I go for the accent? And of course, our players being our players, they all chorused, of course, yes, please. And then Anne, of course, being Anne, nailed the accent. So from there, we just went a little accent crazy. Um, normally, these things you can see in the YouTube video, obviously, you can't see on in the podcast feed, but normally these things have a lot of hats. When people are playing lots of different characters, they sort of change costumes, use a lot of hats to differentiate this one was all about the accent. So it'll be fun because you'll be able to actually hear it for the first time um, on the actual podcast feed. Um, so lots of French accents, lots of pretty offensive Cockney accents, lots of actually offensive French accents too. They're all just like cartoony nonsense accents. Um, so, you know, brace yourself for that. I think it's delightful because I think my people are delightful. Um, yeah, that's about it that I have to tell you really. Henry the Sixth, complicated, weird. Pay attention to Margaret. She's going to be important. And uh, accents. Okay, buckle up. Enter Troubadours for, with a recap of the history cycle to date. C'est une histoire de Henri V. Il a déclaré la guerre contre les Français. In English? Oh, okay. The play begins when the chorus appears to suspend our disbelief. Henry V is king now, England still not at peace. The king will lay claim to the French throne, to which he has a right. The proverbial ball is in their court, but the French aren't being very polite. Henry Lassay. He finds out that his friends are fake. They're working for the French. He'd like to see his head wind up 
on the chopping bench. So he kills them. Charles of France wants a compromise. He offers his daughter's hand. Henry does not accept the offer and swears to take their lands. Once more unto the breeze. I'm calling wow. Once more unto the breeze. The army of France outnumbers the Brits. Five soldiers to one. It made the French pretty damn cocky. The English are pretty sure they're done. In the meantime, Hank's old drunk friends have their own subplot. They're lazy, they're loud, they're drunken thieves. Until one day they're caught. He kills them. He kills all his friends. Oh. St. Crispin's Day. Not bad to St. Crispin. St. Crispin's Day. Somehow Henry rallies the troops. They only lose 29 men. The French tried to play dirty, but the Brits prevailed again. Henry lets the French keep their throne in exchange for a hot wife. The marriage will unite their nations and create a new life. Henry Lassie. Henry Lassie. Oh, Henry Lassie. Apparently, he's kind of lame. Henry Lassie's. Beautiful job. Okay. Act one, scene one, Westminster Abbey, dead march. Enter the funeral of King Henry V, attended on by Dukes of Bedford, Regent of France, Gloucester Protector, and Exeter, Earl of Warwick, the Bishop of Winchester, Heralds, and Company. Hung be the heavens with black, yield day to night. Change of times and states. Brandish your crust the bad revolting so much worth. He really, really ne'er lost a king of so much worth. <laughs> England ne'er had a king until this time. Virtue he had, deserving to command. His brandished sword did blind men with his beams. His arms spread wider than a dragon's wings. His sparkling eyes, replete with wrathful fire, more dazzled and drove back his enemies than midday sun, fierce bent against their faces. What should I say? His deeds exceed all speech. He ne'er lift up his hand, but conquered. We mourn in black. Why mourn we not in blood? Henry is dead and never shall revive. Upon a wooden coffin we attend, and death's dishonorable victory we with our stately presence glorify, like captives bound to a triumphant car. What? Shall we curse the planet's of mishap that plotted thus our glory's overthrow. 
or shall we think the subtle-witted French conjurers and sorcerers that afraid of him by magic verses have contrived his end? He was a king blessed of king of kings. Unto the French the dreadful judgment day, so dreadful will not be as was his sight. The battles of the Lord of hosts he fought. The church's prayers made him so prosperous. The church, where was it? Had not churchmen prayed, his thread of life had not so soon decayed. Nor none do you like but an effeminate prince whom, like a schoolboy, you may overawe. Gloucester, whate'er we like, thou art protector and lookest to command the prince and realm. Thy wife is proud. She holdeth thee in awe more than God of or religious churchmen may. Name not religion, for thou lovest the flesh. And ne'er throughout the year to church thou goest, except it be to pray against thy foes. Cease, cease these jars, and rest your minds in peace. Let's to the altars. Heralds, wait on us. Instead of gold, we'll offer up our arms, since arms avail not now that Henry's dead. Posterity await for wretched years, when at their mother's moist eyes babes shall suck. Our isle be made a nourish of salt tears, and none but women left to wail the dead. Henry V, thy ghost I invocate. Prosper this realm, keep it from civil broils. Combat with adverse planets in the heavens. A far more glorious star thy soul will make than Julius Caesar or bright. Enter messenger. My honorable lords, health to you all. Sad tidings spring I to you out of France. Of loss, of slaughter and discomfiture. Guienne, Champagne, Rennes, Orleans, Paris, Gisors, Poitiers, all are quite lost. What sayest thou, men, before dead Henry's course? Speak softly, or the loss of these great towns will make him burst his lead and rise from death. Is Paris lost? Is Rouen yielded up? If Henry were recalled to life again, these news would cause him once more yield the ghost. How were they lost? What treachery was used? No treachery, but want of men and money. Amongst the soldiers this is muttered, that here you maintain several factions, and whilst a field should be dispatched and fought, you are disputing of your generals. One would have lingering wars with little cost. Another would fly swift, but wanteth wings. A third thinks, without expense at all, by guileful fair words peace may be obtained. Awake! Awake, English nobility! Let not sloth dim your your horrors new begot. Cropped are the flower de luches in your arms. Of England's coat, one half is cut away. Were our tears wanting to this funeral, these tidings would call forth their flowing tides. Me they concern. Regent, I am of France. Give me my sealed coat. I'll fight for France. Away with these disgraceful wailing robes. Wounds will I lend the French instead of eyes to weep their intermissive miseries. Enter a totally different messenger. (laughs) Lords, you these letters full of bad mischance. France is revolted from the English quite, except some petty towns of no import. The Dauphin Charles is crowned king of Rennes. The bastard of Orléans with him is joined. Renier, Duke of Anjou, doth take his part. Duke of Alisson flieth to his side. The Dauphin crowned king? All fight to him? (sighs) Whither shall we fly from this reproach? 
We will not fly but to our enemies' throats. Bedford, if thou be slack, I'll fight it out. Gloucester, why doubt thou of my forwardness? An army have I mustered in my thoughts, wherewith already branches overrun. Enter another completely different messenger. My gracious lords, to add to your laments, wherewith you now bedew King Henry's hearse, I must inform you of a dismal fight betwixt the stout Lord Talbot and the French. What? Wherein Talbot overcame? Is it so? Oh no, wherein Lord Talbot was overthrown. The circumstance I'll tell you more at large. The 10th of August last, this dreadful lord, retiring from the siege of Orléans, having full scarce 6,000 in his troop, by three and 20,000 of the French, was round encompassed and set upon. No leisure had he to enrank his men. He wanted pikes to set before his archers. Instead, whereof sharp stakes plucked out of hedges, they pitched in, they pitched in the ground confusedly to keep the horsemen off from breaking in. More than three hours the fight continued, where valiant Talbot, above human thought, enacted wonders with his sword and lance. Hundreds he sent to hell, and none durst stand him. Here, there, and everywhere, enraged he flew. The French exclaimed, the devil was in arms. All the whole army stood agazed on him. His soldiers spying his undaunted spirit, a Talbot, a Talbot, cried out Amain, and rushed into the bowels of the battle. Here had the conquest fully been sealed up. If Sir John Falstolf had not played the coward, he, being in the voward, placed behind with purpose to relieve and follow them, cowardly fled, not having struck one stroke. Hence grew the general wreck and massacre. Enclosed were they by their, enclosed were they with their enemies, a base walloon to win the Dauphin's grace, thrust Talbot with a spear into the back, whom all France with their chief assembled strength durst not presume to look once in the face. Is Talbot slain? Then I will slay myself, for living idly here in pomp and ease, while such a worthy leader, wanting aid unto his bastard foeman, is betrayed. Oh no, he lives, but is took prisoner, and Lord Scales with him, and Lord, Lord Hungerford. Most of the rest slaughtered or took likewise. His ransom there is none, but I shall pay. I'll hail the Dauphin headlong from his throne. His crown shall be the ransom of my friend. Four of their lords I'll change for one of ours. Farewell, my masters. To my task will I. Bonfires in France forthwith I am to make, to keep, to keep our great St. George's feast with all. Ten thousand soldiers with me I will take, whose bloody deeds shall make all Europe quake. So you had need, for Orléans is besieged. The English army has grown weak and faint. The Earl of Salisbury craveth supply, and hardly keeps his men from mutiny, since they, so few, watch such a multitude. Remember, lords, your oaths to Henry sworn, either to quell the Dauphin utterly, or bring him in obedience to your, to our yoke, to your yoke. I do remember it, and here, take my leave, to go about my preparation. Exit. I'll to the tower with all the haste I can to view the artillery and munition. And then I will proclaim young Henry king. Exit. To Eltham will I, where the young king is, being ordained his special governor. And for his safety there, I'll best devise. Exit. Each hath his place and function to attend. I am left out. For me, nothing remains. But long I will not be jack out of office. The king of Eltham I intend to steal and sit as chief at chiefest stern of public wheel. 
Exempt. Scene two, France before Orléans. Sound of flourish. Enter Charles, Alençon, and Rainier marching with drum and soldiers. Mars is true moving, even as in the heavens, so in the earth. To this day is not known. Late did he shine upon the English side. Now we are victors. Upon us he smiles. What towns of any moment but we have? At pleasure here we lie near Orléans. As a while, the famished English, like pale ghosts, faintly besiege us one hour in a month. They want their porridge and their fat bull beeves, either they must be dieted like mules or have their provender tied to their mouths, or piteous they will look like drowned mice. Let's raise the siege. Why live we idly here? Talbot is taken, whom we want to fear. We may not none but mad-brained Salisbury, and he may well in fretting spend his gall. Nor men, nor money had he to make war. Sound, sound alarm. We will rush on them. Now for the honor of the fallen French. Him I forgive my death that killeth me when he sees me go back one foot or fly. Excellent. Hear alarm. They are beaten back by the English with great loss. Re-enter Charles, Alisson, and Renier. Whoever saw the like? What men have I? Dogs, cowards. Dastards, I would never have said, but that they left me midst my enemies. Salisbury is a desperate homicide. He fighteth as one weary of his life. The other lords, like lions wanting food, do rush upon us as they hungry prey. Poisson, a countryman of ours, records England, all Oliver's and Roland's bread, during the time of Edward the Third did reign, more truly now may this be verified, for none but Samson's or Goliath's in sendest forth in skirmish. One to ten, lean, raw-boned rascals, who, were, who would e'er suppose they should, had such courage and audacity. Let leave this town, for they are harebrained slaves, and hunger will enforce them to be more eager of all they know them. Rather, with their teeth, the walls they tear down than forsake the siege. Mm. I think by some old gimmer or device, their arms are set like clocks, stick, stiff to strike on, else ne'er could they hold us out <laughs> so as they do. By my consent, we'll even let them alone. Be it so. <laughs> Enter the bastard of Orléans. Uh, where is the Prince Dauphin? I have uh, news for him. Bastard of Orléans, thrice welcome to us. Methinks your uh, looks are uh, sad, your cheer appalled. Uh, <laughs> at the late uh, overthrow, wrought his offense. Be uh, not dismayed. For succor is at hand. A holy maid hither with me I bring, which uh, uh, by a vision uh, sent to her from heaven. Ordained is to raise this uh, tedious siege uh, and drive the English forth the bounds of France. Uh, the spirit of deep prophecy she hath. 
exceeding the nine cedars of old Rome, was passed, and uh, what's uh, to come she can uh, describe. Speak, uh, shall I call her in? Uh, believe my words, for uh, they are uh, certain and uh, infallible. Go, call her in. Bastard, I'm only on. But first, to try her skill, Rainier stands out as Dauphin in my place. Question her proudly. Let thy looks be stern. By this means shall we sound what skill she hath. Re-entered the bastard of Orléans with Joan Lapoussel. Fair maid, is it thou wilt do these wondrous feats? Rainier, is thou that thinkest to beguile me? Where is the Dauphin? Come, come from behind. I know thee well, though never seen before. Be not amazed, there's nothing hid from me. In private will I talk with thee apart. Stand back, you lords, and give us leave a while. She takes upon her bravely at first dash. Dauphin, I am by birth a shepherd's daughter, my wit untrained in any kind of art. Heaven and our lady gracious hath it pleased to shine on my contemptible estate Lo, whilst I waited on my tender lambs and to sun's parching heat displayed my cheeks, God's mother deigned to appear to me and in a vision full of majesty willed me to leave my base vocation. And free from my country, from calamity, her age, she promised and assured success. In complete glory, she revealed herself. And whereas I was black and swart before with those clear rays which she infused on me, that beauty I am blessed with, which you can see. Ask me what question thou canst possible, and I will answer unpremeditated. My courage try by combat, if thou darest, and thou shalt find that I exceed my sex. Resolve on this, thou shalt be fortunate, if thou receive me for thy warlike mate. Thou hast astonished me with thy high terms. Only this proof of thy valor make. In single combat, thou shalt buckle with me. And if thou vanquishest, thy words are true. Otherwise, I renounce all confidence. I am prepared. Here is my keen-edged sword, decked with five flower de luces on each side, the which at terrain in St. Catherine's churchyard, out of a great deal of old Ryan, uh, old iron I chose for. for. Then come, O oh God's name, I fear no woman. And while I live, I'll ne'er fly from a man. Here they fight, and Joan Lapoussel overcomes. Stay! Stay thy hands! And thou art an Amazon, and fightest with the sword of Deborah. Christ's mother help, helps me, else I were too weak. Well, helps thee. Tis thou that must help me. Impatiently I burn with thy desire. My art and ends thou hast at once subdued. Excellent Poussel, if thy name be so, let thy servant and not sovereign be. Tis the French Dauphin souhait to thee thus. I must not yield to any rights of love for my profession sacred from above. When I have chased all thy foes from hence, then will I think upon a recompense. Meantime, look gracious on thy prostrate thrall. My lord, methinks... Is very long in talk. Doubtless he shrives this woman to her smock. 
uh, as there she could he be so long protect his speech. Oh, she will. Shall we disturb him since he keeps no mean? He may mean more than we poor men don't know. These women are shrewd tempters with their tongues. My lord, where are you? What device you on? Shall we give over Orlin or no? Why no, I say, distressful recreants. Fight to the last gasp. I will be your guard. What she says, I'll confirm. We'll fight it out. Assigned am I to be the English scourge. This night, the siege assuredly I'll raise. Expect St. Martin's summer, halcyon days. Since I have entered into these wars, glory is like a circle in the water, which never ceaseth to enlarge itself, till by broad spreading it disperse to naught. With Henry's death, the English circle ends, dispensed are the glories it included. Now am I like the proud insulting ship which Caesar and his fortune bear at once. Was Mohammed inspired with a dove? Thou with an eagle art inspired then. Ellen, the mother of great Constantine, nor yet Saint Philip's daughters, were like thee. Bright stars of Venus falling down on the earth. How many I reverently worship thee enough. Leave off delays and let us raise the siege. Woman, do what thou canst to save our honor. Drive them from Orleans and be immortalized. Presently we'll try. Come, let's away about it. No prophet will I trust if she prove false. Exempt. Scene three, London before the tower. Enter Gloucester with his serving men in blue coats. I am come to survey the tower this day. Since Henry's death, I fear there is conveyance. Where be these warders, that they wait not here? Open the gates. Tis Gloucester that calls. Who's there that knocks so imperiously? It is the noble Duke of Gloucester. Maybe you may not be let in. Villains, answer you so the Lord Protector. The Lord protect him, so we answer him. We do no otherwise than we are willed. Who willed you? Or whose will stands but mine? There's none protector of the realm but I. Break up the gates. I'll be your warrant eyes. Shall I be flouted thus by dunghill grooms? Gloucester's men rush at the tower gates, and Woodville, the lieutenant, speaks within. What noise is this? What traitors have we here? Lieutenant, is it you whose voice I hear? Open the gates. Here's Gloucester that would enter. Have patience, noble duke. I may not be open. The Cardinal of Winchester forbids. From him I have expressed commandment that thou nor none of thine shall be let in. Faint-hearted Woodville, prizest him for me? Arrogant Winchester, that haughty prelate, whom Henry, our late sovereign, ne'er could brook? Thou art no friend to God or to the king. Open the gates, or I'll shut thee out shortly. Open the gates unto the Lord Protector, or we'll burst them open if that you come not quickly. Enter the Protector at the Tower Gates, Bishop of Winchester, and his men in tawny coats. 
How now, ambitious Humphrey, what means this? Peeled priest, dost thou command me to be shut out? I do. Thou most usurping proditor, and not protector of the king of realm. Stand back, thou manifest conspirator, thou that contrivest to murder our dead lord, thou that gives whores indulgences to sin. I'll canvas thee in thy broad cardinal's hat, if thou proceed in this thy insolence. Nay, stand back, uh, stand thou back. I will not budge a foot. This be Damascus. This be thou, cursed Cain, to slay thy brother Abel, if thou wilt. I will not slay thee, but I'll drive thee back. Thy scarlet robes as a child's bearing cloth I'll use to carry thee out of this place. Do what thou darest. I beard thee to thy face. What? Am I dared and bearded to my face? Draw, men, for all this privileged place, blue coats to tawny coats. Priest, beware your beard. I mean to tug it and to cuff you soundly. Under my feet I stamp thy cardinal's hat in spite of pope or dignities of church. Here by the cheeks I'll drag thee up and down. Gloucester, thou wilt answer to this before the pope. Winchester goose, I cry, a rope, a rope. Now beat them hence. Why do you let them stay? Thee I'll chase hence, thou wolf in sheep's array. Out, tawny coats, out, scarlet hypocrite. Here Gloucester's men beat out Bishop of Winchester's men and enter in the hurly-burly, the mayor of London and his officers. My lords, that you, being supreme magistrates, thus contemptuously should break the peace. Peace, mayor, thou knowst little of my wrongs. Here's Beaufort, that regards nor God nor king, hath here distrained the tower to his use. Here's Gloucester, a foe to citizens, one that still motions war and never peace, or charging your free purses with large fines that seeks to overthrow the religion, because he is protector of the realm, and would have armor here out of the tower to crown himself king and suppress the prince. I will not answer thee with words but blows. Here they skirmish again. Not rest for me in this tumultuous strife, but to make open proclamation. Come, officer, as loud as e'er thou canst, cry. All manner of men assembled here in arms this day against God's peace and the king's. We charge and command you, in his highness's name, to repair your several dwelling places, and not to wear, handle, or use any sword, weapon, or dagger henceforth upon pain of death. Cardinal, I'll be no breaker of the law, but we shall meet and break our minds at large. Gloucester, we will meet. To thy cost, be sure. Thy heart blood I will have for this day's work. I'll call for clubs if you will not away. This cardinal's more haughty than the devil. Mayor, farewell. Thou dost but what thou mayst. Abominable Gloucester. Guard thy head, for I intend to have it ere long. Exunt severally Gloucester and Bishop of Winchester with their serving men. See the coast cleared, and then we will depart.
Good God, these nobles should such stomachs bear. I myself fight not once in 40 years. Exit. Scene four, Orléans. Enter on the walls a master gunner and his boy. Orléans is besieged. And as the English have the suburbs won. Brother, I know. And oft I have shot them. However, unfortunate, I missed my aim. But now thou shalt not be zachud by me. Hmm? Chief, Master Ganel, am I of this town? Something I must do to procure me grace. The princes espers have informed me of the English in the suburbs close entrenched, want through a secret gate of iron bars in a yonder town to overpeer the city. And then discover with most advantage they may vex us with shot or with assault. To intercept this inconvenience, a piece of ordinance against it I have placed. And even these three days have I watched. If I could see them. Now, do you watch, for I can no longer stay. If the spy is any, come and bring me word. And thou shalt find me as the governor's. I'll find you. I warrant you, take you no care. I'll never trouble you, if I may spy them. Exit. Enter on the turret Salisbury and Talbot, Glansdale, Gargrave, and others. Talbot, my life, my joy again returned. How wert thou handled being prisoner? Or by what means gotst thou to be released? Discourse, I prithee, on this turret's top. The Duke of Bedford had a prisoner called the brave Lord Ponton de Centraille. For him was I exchanged and ransomed. But with the baser man of arms by far once in contempt, they would have bartered me, which I, disdaining, scorned, and craved death rather than I would be so vile esteemed. In fine, redeemed I was as I desired. But, oh, the treacherous Fastolf wounds my heart, whom with my bare fists I would execute if I now had him brought into my power. Yet tellest thou not how thou wert entertained? With scoffs and scorns and contumious taunts, in open marketplace produced they me to be a public spectacle to all. Here, said they, is the terror of the French, the scarecrow that affrights our children so. Then broke I off from the officers that led me, and with my nails digged stones out of the ground to hurl at the beholders of my shame. My grisly countenance made others fly. None durst come near for fear of sudden death. In iron walls they deemed me not secure. So great fear, so great fear of my name amongst them was spread that they supposed I could rend bars of steel and spurn in pieces posts of adamant. Wherefore a guard of chosen shot I had that walked about me every minute while, and if I did but stir out of my bed, ready they were to shoot me at the heart. Enter boy with a linstock. I grieve to hear what torments you endured, but we will be revenged sufficiently now it is supper time in Orleans. 
Here, through this grate, I count each one and view the Frenchmen how they fortify. Let us look in. The sight will much delight thee. Sir Thomas Gargrave and Sir William Glansdall, let me have your express opinions. Where is best place to make our battery next? I think at the north gate. For there stands Lord's. And I here at the bulwark of the bridge. Hmm. Talbot. For aught I see, the city must be famished for, or, is it not working? For aught I see, the city must be famished or with light skirmishes and feebled. Here they shoot, Salisbury and Gargrave fall. <gasps> oh Lord, have mercy on us, wretched sinners. Oh Lord, have mercy on me, woeful man. What chance is this that suddenly hath crossed us? Speak! Salisbury, at least if thou speak, one of thy eyes and thy cheek side struck off a cursed tower, a cursed fatal hand that hath contrived this woeful tragedy. In thirteen battles, Salisbury overcame. Henry V, he first trained to the wars. Whilst any trump did sound or drum struck up, his sword did ne'er striking in the field. Yet livest thou, Salisbury. Though thy spoke to heaven for grace, the sun heaven. Be thou gracious to none alive if Salisbury wants mercy at thy hands. Bear hence his body. I will help to bury it. Sir Thomas Gargrave, hast thou any life? Speak unto Talbot. Nay, look up to him. Salisbury, cheer thy spirit with this comfort. Thou shalt not die whilst... He beckons with his hands and smiles on me, as though to say, when I am dead and gone, remember to avenge me on the French. Plantagenet, I will. And like thee, Nero, play on the lute, beholding the towns burn. Wretched shall France be only in my name. Hear an alarm, and it thunders and lightens. What stir is this? What tumults in the heavens? Whence cometh this alarm and the noise? Enter a messenger. My lord, my lord, the French have gathered head. The Dauphin, with one Jean Lapucet joined, a holy prophetess new risen up, is come with a great power to raise the siege. Here Salisbury lifteth himself up and groans. Not it. Uh, Talbot's internet is terrible. Tor, are you there? Mm, their screen is black. What do we do? 
She's mm-hmm. not about to drop a whole bunch of plot information, is she? I mean, it's the end of the scene. You want Salisbury to Can say it from hear? the dead? Yes, oh, I do. Hear how long oh. Salisbury died. She's doing it. All the is mine. Try that again. Changing over. Kelly, you're on mute now. Um, Tori, we could hear you for a second. Do you want to try again? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. Maybe we should No, guess we can't. <laughs> Cool. Luckily, you don't have a very big part. Hang on. We got this. We got this. We can hear you now. Oh, Oh, yeah. I'm just going to slowly switch over to my tablet um but in the meantime why don't uh why don't why don't we try going into this again from the groom if that's okay or i'll go from my short i go from my line here salisbury lifts himself up and groans here Hear how dying Salisbury doth groan. It irks his heart he cannot be revenged. Frenchman, I'll be a Salisbury to you. Pucelle or puzzle, dolphin or dogfish, your hearts I'll stamp out with my horse's heels and make a quagmire of your mingled brains. Convey me, Salisbury, to No. Alarm exit. Scene five, the same. Hear an alarm again, and Talbot pursueth the Dauphin and driveth him, then enter Joan La Pucelle, driving Englishmen before her, and exit after them, then re enter Talbot. Oi. <laughs> No one's doing anything after this, eh? Okay, let's pause for a minute. Um, Tori, can you try and sh- uh, shift over to your tablet? Yep. Um, okay. okay. Meantime. Intermission. Intermission. Um, Intermission. Who, who's been paying attention can tell us what's happened. 
so far because I'm not paying enough attention. And if they could do it in musical mode, that'd be great. Oh, well, that's a lot of work. Improv song? You do so much work. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I even wrote it down on my like character list sheet. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. You crossed yourself out. That's awesome. <laughs> Henry Five dead, not coming back. Yeah, I stopped paying attention after that. <laughs> That's the first line of the play. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Gloucester tried to t- try to attack the Tower of London. Okay. You want to get into the tower? Yeah, that's what Gloucester did. That's what all the Cockney people were doing. Yeah. Ah. I I think basically there's just the beginning of of the War of the Roses, right? There's like civil unrest in England and basically a lot of factions and just people fighting, shit getting stirred up because and then the French, French. yeah. Yeah, and Don't parts of the messenger the starting Mila Jovich. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. your impression's spot on, Hillary. And Gloucester is officially running things until they crown Henry VI. He's the Lord Protector. Oh. So he wow. had a right to get into the tower, but the Bishop of Winchester was just like, nope, I'm taking over the tower now. And that's why they fought. Oh, I useful. That's totally the opposite of what the other people said. I, I thought Gloucester was being a dick. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah, you would. Straight up. No, no Gloucester's, when they keep calling him Lord Protector, he's basically regent okay. until Henry okay. VI yeah. takes over. We Somebody see more of that in the next play, his... but not in this one. So clearly. <laughs> oh, she's back. Is that Tori? Talbot? Talbot, is that you? Tori Talbot. She only has 500 lines. That's fine. Talbot. (laughs) You look like an old Western portrait. I like it. It's a choice. (laughs) I can't see. Drink rosé. That's what I was drinking earlier. I'm going to finish that off. There you go. That could have ended the War of the Roses right there. Red, (laughs) white. Why not both? (laughs) Okay. You fucking dork. (laughs) Tori, are you... What's happening? You're on mute right now. Unmute. Say something now. Now? Yes. Hey! Hey. (laughs) Okay. Let's start at scene five. The same. Enter an alarum again, and Talbot pursueth do- the Dauphin, and driveth him, then enter Joan La Pucelle, driving Englishmen before her, and exit after them, and then re-enter Talbot. Where is my strength, my valor, and my force? Our English troops retire, I cannot stay them. A woman clad in armor chaseth them. Re-enter Joan La Pucelle. Here, here she comes. I'll have a bout with thee. Devil or devil's dam, I'll conjure thee. Blood will I draw on thee. Thou art a witch, and straightway give thy soul to him thou servest. Come, come, tis only I that must disgrace thee. Here they fight. Heavens, can, heavens, can you suffer hell so to prevail? My breast I'll burst with straining of my courage, and from my shoulders crack my arms asunder but I will chase this high-minded strumpet. They fight again. Talbot, 
Farewell, thy honor is not yet come. I must go victual or Lyons forwith. A short alarm, then enter the town with soldiers. Or take me, if thou canst. I scorn thy strength. Go, go, cheer up thy hungry, starved men. Help Salisbury to make his testament. This day is ours, as many more shall be. Exit. My thoughts are whirling like a potter's wheel. I know not where I am, nor what I do. A witch, by fear, not force, like Hannibal, drives back our troops and conquers as she lists. So bees with smoke and doves with noisome stench are from their hives and houses driven away. They called us for our fierceness English dogs. Now, like to whelps, we crying run away. A short alarm. Hark, countrymen. Either renew the fight or tear the lions out of England's coat. Renounce your soil. Give sheep in lion's stead. Sheep run not half so treacherous from the wolf or ox or ox or horse or or horse or oxen from the leopard as you fly from your off-subdued slaves. Alarm, hear another skirmish. Will not be. Retire into your trenches. You all consented unto Salisbury's death, for none would strike a stroke in his revenge. Fussel is entered into Orléans, in spite of us or aught, or, or aught, that we could do. Oh, would I were to die with Salisbury. The shame hereof will make me hide my head. Exit Talbot, alarm, retreat, flourish. Scene six, the same. Enter on the walls, Joan La Pucelle, Charles, Renier, Alençon, and soldiers. Advance our waving colors on the walls. Rescued is Orléans from the English. Thus, Joan La Pucelle hath performed her word. Divinous creature. Astrea's daughter, how shall I honor thee for this success? Thy promises are like Adonis' gardens, that one day bloomed and fruitful were the next. France triumphs in thy glorious prophetess. Recovered is the town of Orléans. More blessed up did ne'er befall our state. Why ring not out the bells aloud throughout the town? Dauphin! Command the citizens make bonfires and feasts and banquet in the open streets to celebrate the joy that God had given us. All friends will be replete with mirth and joy when they shall hear how we have played them in. Tis John, not we, by whom the day is won, for which I will divide my crown with her, and all the priests and fires in my realm shall in possession sing her endless praise. A statelier pyramid to her rear than Rhodopes or Memphis Airways. In memory of her when she is dead, her ashes in an urn more precious than the rich jewel of Darius, transported shall be at high festivals before the kings and queens of France. No longer on Saint-Denis will we cry, but Jean la Pucelle shall be France's saint. Come in and let us banquet royally after this golden day of victory. 
Flourish, exeunt. Act two, scene one, before Orléans. Enter sergeant of a band with two sentinels. Take your place and be vigilant. If any noise or soldier you perceive near to the walls by some apparent sign, let us have knowledge. Sergeant, you shall. Exit, sergeant. Thus our poor servitors, when others sleep upon their quiet beds, constrained to watch in darkness, rain, and cold. Enter Talbot Bedford, Burgundy, and forces with scaling ladders, their drums beating a dead march. Lord Regent and redoubted Burgundy, by whose approach the regions of Artois, Wallon, and Picardy are friends to us. This happy night, Frenchmen are secure, having all day caroused and banqueted. Embrace we then this opportunity as fitting best to quittance their deceit, contrived by art and baleful sorcery. Come, Lord of France, how much he wrongs his fame, despairing of his own arms' fortitude to join with witches and the help of hell. Traitors have never other company. But what's that pucelle whom they term so pure? A maid, they say. A maid? And be so martial. Pray God she prove not masculine ere long, if underneath the standard of the French she carry armor as she hath begun. Well, let them practice and converse with spirits. God is our fortress, in whom's conquering name let us resolve to scale their flinty bowl. Ascend, brave Talbot. We will follow thee. Not altogether. Better far, I guess. That we do make our entrance several ways. That if it chance the one of us to do fail, uh, one of us do fail, the other may yet, the other yet may rise against their force. Agreed. I'll to yon corner. And I to this. Here will Talbot mount, or make his grave. Now, Salisbury, for thee, before the right of English Henry shall this night appear, how much in duty I am bound to both. Arm, arm, the enemy doth make assault. St. George, a Talbot, the French leap over the walls in their shirts, enter several ways, the bastard of Orléans, Alençon, Regnier, half ready and half unready. Alençon, are you unready? How now, my lords? What all unready so? Unready? Uh, I and uh, glad we escaped so well. It was time I trod to wake and leave our beds, hearing alarms at our chamber doors. Of all exploits since first I followed arms, ne'er had I a warlike enterprise, more venturous or desperate than this. I think this, uh, Talbot, uh, be a fiend of hell. <laughs> if not of hell, the heavens sure favor him. Here comes Charles. I marvel how he sped. Father John, uh, what was his defensive guard? Enter Charles and Joan Lapoussel. Is this thy cunning, thou deceitful dumb? 
Didst thou at first to flatter us withal make us partakers of a little gain that now our loss might be ten times so much? Wherefore is Charles impatient with his friend? At all times will you have my power alike? Sleeping or waking must I still prevail? Or will you blame and lay the fault on me? Improvident soldiers, I had your watch been good, the sudden mischief never could have fallen. Duke of Alessand, this was your default, that being captain of the watch tonight did look no better to that weighty charge. Had all your quarters been as safely kept as that whereof I had the government, we had not been thus shamefully surprised. Uh, mine was uh, secure. And so was mine, my lord. And for myself, most part of all this night, within her quarter and mine own precinct, I was employed in passing to and fro, about relieving relieving of the sentinels, then how or which way should they break first in? Question, my lords, no further of the case. How or which way, to sure they found some place but weakly guarded, where the breach was made, and now there rests no other shift but this, to gather our soldiers scattered and dispersed and lay new platforms to endgame them. Alarum, enter an English soldier crying, a Talbot, a Talbot, they fly, leaving their clothes behind. Soldier. Who's playing soldier? I'll be so bold bold to to take take what they have. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that was first soldier. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. If you're if you're first, that means if there's no number, you're also reading that. Okay. I'll be so bold to take what they have left. The cry of Talbot serves me for a sword, for I have loaded me with many spoils, using no other weapon but his name. Exit. Scene two, Orléans, within the town, enter Talbot, Bedford, Burgundy, a captain, and others. The day begins to break, and night is fled, whose pitching mantle overveiled the earth. Here, sound retreat, and cease our hot pursuit. Retreat sounded. Bring forth the body of old Salisbury, and here advance it in the marketplace, the middle center of this cursed town. Now have I paid my vow unto his soul, for every drop of blood was drawn from him. There hath at least five Frenchmen died tonight, and that hereafter ages may behold what ruin happened in revenge of him within their chiefest temple. I'll erect a tomb, wherein his corpse shall be interred, upon the which, that everyone may read, shall be engraved the sack of Orléans, the treacherous manner of his mournful death, and what a terror he had been to France. But lords, in all our bloody massacre, I muse we met not with the Dauphin's grace, his new-come champion, virtuous Joan of Arc, nor any of his false confederates. His thought, Lord Talbot, when the fight began, roused on the sudden from their drowsy beds. They did, amongst the troops of armed men, leap o'er the walls for refuge in the field. Myself, as far as I could well discern for smoke and dusty vapors of the night, I'm sure I scared the Dauphin and his trull. 
When arm in arm, they both came swiftly running like to a pair of loving turtle doves. They could not live asunder day or night. After that, things are set in order here. We'll follow them with all the power we have. Enter a messenger. All hail, my lords. Which of this princely train call ye the warlike Talbot, for his act so much applauded through the realm of France? Here is the Talbot. Who would speak with him? The virtuous lady, Countess of Auvergne, with modesty admiring thy renown, by me entreats, great lord, thou wouldst vouchsafe to visit her poor castle where she lies, that she may boast she hath beheld a man whose glory fills the world with loud report. Is it even so? Nay, then, I see our wars will turn unto a peaceful comic sport when ladies crave to be encountered with. You may not, my lord, despise her gentle suit. Now trust me, then. For when a world of men could not prevail with all their oratory, yet hath a woman's, yet hath a woman's kindness o'erruled. And therefore tell her I return great thanks, and in submission will attend on her. Will not your honors bear me company? No, truly, it is more than manners will. I have heard it said, unbidden guests are often welcomest when they are gone. Well then, alone, since there's no remedy, I mean to prove this lady's courtesy. Come hither, Captain. You perceive my mind? I do, my lord, and mean accordingly. Exit. Scene three, Auvergne, the Countess's castle, and to the Countess and her porter. Porter, remember what I gave in charge, and when you have done so, bring the keys to me. Madame, I will. Exit. The plot is late. If all things fall out right, I shall as famous be by this exploit, as Sician's Tomiris by Cyrus's death. Great is the rumor of this dreadful night, and his achievements are of no less account. Fair would mine eyes be witnessed with mine ears to give the censure of these rare reports. Enter messenger and Talbot. Madam, according as your ladyship desired, by message craved, so is Lord Talbot come. And he is welcome. What? Is this a man? Madam, it is. Is this the scourge of France? Is this the Talbot so much feared abroad that with his name the mothers till their babes? I see report is fabulous and false. I thought I should have been some Hercules, a second Hector for his grim aspect, and large proportion of his strong-knit limbs. Alas, this is a child, a silly dwarf. I cannot be this weak and writhed shrimp should strike such terror to his enemies. Madam, I have been bold to trouble you. Since your ladyship is not at leisure, I'll sort some other time to come to visit you. What means he now? Go ask him whither he goes. Stay, my lord Talbot, for my lady craves to know the cause of your abrupt departure. Mary, for that she's in a wrong belief. I go to certify her Talbot's here. Re-enter Porter with keys. If thou be him... 
Then art thou prisoner. Prisoner? To whom? To me, bloodthirsty lord. And for that cause I trained thee to my house. Long times thy shadow had been thrall to me, and for in my gallery thy picture hangs. But now the substance shall endure the like, and I will chain these legs and arms in thine, and hast by tyranny these many years wasted our country, slain our citizens, and sent our sons and husbands captive. Laugh us thou, wretch. Thy mouth shall turn to moan. I laugh to see your ladyship so fond to think that you have aught but Talbot's shadow whereon to practice your severity. Why? Art not thou the man? I am indeed. Then have I substance too? No, no, I am but shadow of myself. You are deceived. My substance is not here, for what you see is but the smallest part and least proportion of humanity. I tell you, madam, were the whole frame here, it is of such a spacious, lofty pitch, your roof were not sufficient to contain it. This is a riddling merchant for the nonce. He will be here, and yet he is not here. How can these contrarieties agree? That I will show you presently. Winds his horn, drums strike up, appeal of ordinance, enter soldiers. How say you, madam? Are you now persuaded that Talbot is but shadow of himself? These are his substance, sinews, arms, and strength, with which he yoketh your rebellious necks, raiseth your cities, and subverts your towns, and in a moment makes them desolate. Victorious Talbot, pardon my abuse. I find thou art no less than fame hath bruited, and more than may be gathered by thy shape. Let my presumption not provoke thy wrath, for I am sorry, for with reverence I did not entertain thee as thou art. Be not dismayed, fair lady, nor misconstrue the mind of Talbot as you did mistake the outward composition of his body. What you have done hath not offended me, nor other satisfaction do I crave, but only with your patience, that we may taste of your wine and see what cates you have, for soldiers' stomachs always serve them well. With all my heart, and think me honoured to feast so great a warrior in my house. Exunt. Scene four, London, the Temple Garden. Enter the Earls of Somerset, Suffolk, and Warwick, Richard Plantagenet, Vernon, and another lawyer. Great lords and gentlemen, what means this silence? Dare no man answer in a case of truth. Within the Temple Hall, we were too loud. The garden here is more convenient. Then say at once, if I maintain the truth, or else was wrangling Somerset in there. Faith, I have been a truant in the law, and never yet could frame my will to it, and therefore frame the law to my will. Judge you, my lord of Warwick, then between us. Between two hawks, which flies the higher pitch, between two dogs, which have the deeper mouth, between two blades, which bears the better temper, between two horses, which doth bear him best. 
between two girls, which hath the merriest eye, I have perhaps some shallow spirit of judgment. But in these nice, sharp quillets of the law, good faith, I am no wiser than a daw. Tut, tut, here is a mannerly forbearance. The truth appears so naked on my side that any purblind eye may find it. Out. And on my side, it is so well apparelled, so clear, so shining, and so evident, that it will glimmer through a blind man's eye. Since you are tongue-tied and so loath to speak, in dumb significance proclaim your thoughts. Let him that is a true-born gentleman and stands upon the honor of his birth, if he suppose that I have pleaded truth, from off this briar pluck a white rose with me. Let him that is no coward nor no flatterer, but dare maintain the party of the truth, pluck a red rose from off this thorn with me. I love no colors, and without all color of base insinuating flattery, I pluck this white rose with Plantagenet. I pluck this red rose with young Somerset and say with all, I think he held the right. Say, lords and gentlemen, and pluck no more till you conclude that he upon whose side the fewest roses are cropped from the tree shall yield the other in the right opinion. Good Master Vernon, it is well objected. If I have fewest, I subscribe in silence. And I. Then for the truth and plainness of the case. I pluck this pale and maiden blossom here, giving my verdict on the white rose side. Prick not your finger as you pluck it off, lest the bleeding you do paint the white rose and fall on my side so against your will. If I, my lord, for my opinion bleed, opinion shall be surgeon to my hurt and keep me on the side where still I am. Well, well, come on, who else? Unless my study and my books be false, the argument you held was wrong in you. In sign whereof, I pluck a white rose, too. Now, Somerset, where is your argument? Here in my scabbard, meditating that shall dye your white rose in a bloody red. <laughs> Meantime, your cheeks do counterfeit our roses. For, pear they, for pale they look with fear, as witnessing the truth on our side. No, Plantagenet, tis not fear, but anger that thy cheeks blush for pure shame to counterfeit our roses, and yet thy tongue will confess not will not confess thy error. Hath not thy rose a canker, Somerset? Hath not thy rose a thorn, Plantagenet? Ay, sharp and piercing to maintain his truth, whilst thy consuming canker eats his falsehood. Well, I'll find friends to wear my bleeding roses that, that shall maintain what I've said is true where false Plantagenet dare not be seen. Now by this maiden blossom in my hand, I scorn thee and thy fashion, peevish boy. Turn not thy scorns this way, Plantagenet. Proud Paul, I will, and scorn both him and thee. I'll turn my part thereof into thy throat. Away, away, good William de la Pole. We grace the yeoman by conversing with him. Uh, now by God's will thou wrongst him, Somerset. His grandfather was Lionel, Duke of Clarence, third son to the third Edward, King of England. Spring crestless yeoman from so deep a root? He bears him on the place's privilege, or durst not, for his craven heart says, uh, say that. By him that made me, I'll maintain my words on any plot of ground in Christendom. 
Was not thy father, Richard, Earl of Cambridge, for treason executed in our late king's days? And by his treason stands not thou attainted, corrupted, and exempt from ancient gentry? His trespass yet lives guilty in thy blood, and thou, until thou be restored, thou art a yeoman. My father was attached, not attainted, condemned to die for treason, but no traitor, and that I'll prove on better men than Somerset. Were growing time once ripened to my will, for your partaker, Paul, and you yourself, I'll note you in my book of memory. To scourge you for this apprehension, look to it well, and say you are well warned. Ah, thou shalt find us ready for thee still, and know us by these colors for thy foes, for these my friends in spite of thee shall wear. And by my soul, this pale and angry rose, as cognizance of my blood-drinking hate, will I forever and my faction wear, until I, it wither with me to my grave, or flourish to the height of my degree. Go forward oh. and... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Laura. <laughs> Go forward and be choked with thy ambition. And so farewell, until I meet thee next. Exit. Have with thee, Pole. Farewell, ambitious Richard. Exit. How I am braved and must perforce endure it. This blot that they object against your house shall be wiped out in the next parliament, called for the truce of Winchester and Gloucester. And if thou not be then created York, I will not live to be accounted Warwick. Meantime, in signal of my love to thee, against proud Somerset and William Pole, will I upon thy party wear this rose. And here I prophesy, this brawl today, grown to this faction in the temple garden, shall send between the red rose and the white a thousand souls to death and deadly night. Good Master Vernon, I am bound to you that you on my behalf would pluck a flower. In your behalf still will I wear the same. And so will I. Thanks, gentle sir. Come, let us for to dinner. I dare say this quarrel will drink blood another day. Exit. Scene five, the Tower of London. Enter Mortimer, brought in a chair and jailers. Kind keepers of my weak, decaying age, let dying Mortimer here rest himself. Even like a man new hailed from the rack, so fare my limbs with long imprisonment. And these gray locks, the persuades of death, nestor-like aged in an age of care, argue the end of Edmund Mortimer. These eyes, like lamps whose wasting oil is spent, wax dim as drawing to their exigent. Weak shoulders overborne with burden and grief, and pithless arms like to a withered vine that droops his sapless branches to the ground. Yet are these feet, whose strengthless stays numb, unable to support this lump of clay, swift-winged with a desire to get a grave, as wing I no other comfort have. But tell me, Keeper, will my nephew come? Richard Plantagenet, my lord, will come. We sent unto the temple into his chamber, and answer was returned that he will come. Enough. My soul shall then be satisfied. Poor gentleman, his wrong doth equal mine, since Henry Monmouth first began to reign, before whose glory I was great in arms, this loathsome sequestration that I had. And even since then hath Richard been obscured, deprived of honor and inheritance, but now the arbitrator of despairs, just death, 
kind umpire of men's miseries with sweet enlargement doth dismiss me hence. I would his troubles likewise were expired, that so he might recover what was lost. My lord, your loving nephew now is come. Enter Richard Plantagenet. Hmm. Richard Plantagenet, my friend, is he come? Aye, noble uncle. Thus ignobly used, your nephew, late despised Richard, comes. Ah, direct mine arms, I may embrace his neck, and in his bosom spend my latter gasp. Oh, tell me, when my lips do touch his cheeks, that I may kindly give one fainting kiss. And now, declare, sweet stem from York's great stock, why didst thou say, of late thou wert despised? First, lean thine aged back against mine arm, and in that ease, I'll tell thee my disease. This day, in argument upon a case, some words there grew twixt Somerset and me, among which terms he used his lavish tongue and did upbraid me with my father's death, which obliquely set bards before my tongue, else with the like I had requited him. Therefore, good uncle, for my father's sake, in honor of a true Plantagenet, and for alliance sake, declare the cause my father, Earl of Cambridge, lost his head. That cause, fair nephew, that imprisoned me and hath detained me, all my flowering youth within a loathsome dungeon there to pine, was cursed instrument of his decease. Discover more at large what cause that was, for I am ignorant and cannot guess. I will, if that my fading breath permit, and death approach not ere my tale be done. Henry the Fourth, grandfather to this king, deposed his nephew Richard, Edward's son, the first begotten and the lawful heir of Edward King, the third of that descent, during whose reign the Percys of the North, finding his usurpation most unjust, endeavored my advancement to the throne. The reason moved these warlike lords to this was for that young King Richard thus removed, leaving no heir begotten of his body. I was the next by birth and parentage, for by my mother I derived, and from Lionel, Duke of Clarence, the third son to King Edward III, whereas he, from John of Gaunt, doth bring his pedigree, being but fourth of that heroic line. But mark, as in this haughty attempt, they labored to plant the rightful heir. I lost my liberty, and they their lives. Long after this, when Henry V succeeded, succeeding his father Bolingbroke did reign, thy father, Earl of Cambridge, then derived from famous Edmund Langley, Duke of York, marrying my sister, that thy mother was, again, in pity of my hard distress, levied an army, meaning to redeem, and have installed me in the diadem. But, as the rest, so fell that noble Earl and was beheaded. Thus the Mortimers, in whom the tide rested, were suppressed. Of which, my lord, your honor is the last. True, and thou seest that I no issue have, and that my fainting words do warn of death. Thou art my heir. The rest I wish thee gather, but yet be wary in thy studious care. Thy grave admonishments prevail with me. But yet, methinks, my father's execution was nothing less than bloody tyranny. 
with silence, nephew, be thou politic. Strong fixed is the house of Lancaster, and like a mountain not to be removed. But now thy uncle is removing hence, as princes do their courts, when they are cloyed with long continuance in a settled place. Oh, uncle, would some part of my young ears might but redeem the passage of your age. Thou dost then wrong me, as that slaughterer doth, which giveth many wounds when one will kill. Mourn not, except thou sorrow for my good. Only give order for my funeral. And so farewell, and fair be all thy hopes, and prosperous be thy life in peace and war. Dies. In peace, no war befall thy parting soul. In prison hast thou spent a pilgrimage, and like a hermit overpass thy days. Well, I will lock his counsel in my breast. And what I do imagine lets that rest. Keepers, convey him hence, and I myself will see his burial better than his life. Exent jailers bearing out the body of Mortimer. Here dies the dusky torch of Mortimer, choked with ambition of the meaner sort, and for those wrongs, those bitter injuries, which Somerset hath offered to my house, I doubt not but with honor to redress. And therefore, haste I to, par- to the Parliament, either to be restored to my blood or make my Ill- the advantage of my good. Exit. Act 3, Scene 1, London, the Parliament House. Flourish, enter King Henry VI, Exeter, Gloucester, Warwick, Somerset, and Suffolk, the Bishop of Winchester, Richard Plantagenet, and others. Gloucester offers to put up a bill. Bishop of Winchester snatches it and tears it. Thomas Thou with deep premeditated lines, with written pamphlets studiously devised. Humphrey of Gloucester, if thou canst accuse, or aught intendest to lay unto my charge, do it without invention, suddenly, as I with sudden and extemporal speech purpose to answer what thou canst object. Presumptuous priest. This place commands my patience, or thou shouldst find thou hast dishonored me. Think not, although in writing I preferred the manner of thy vile, outrageous crimes, that therefore I have forged, or am not able verbatim to rehearse the method of my pen. No, prelate, such is thy audacious wickedness, thy lewd, pestiferous, and dissentious pranks, as very infants prattle of thy pride. Thou art a most pernicious usurer, forward by nature, enemy to peace. Lascivious, wanton, more than well beseems a man of thy profession and degree. And for thy treachery, what's more manifest? In that thou laidst a trap to take my life as well at London Bridge as at the Tower? Beside, I fear me, if thy thoughts were sifted, the king, thy sovereign, is not quite exempt from envious malice of thy swelling heart. Gloucester, I do defy thee. Lords, vouchsafe to give me hearing what I shall reply. If I were covetous, ambitious, or perverse, as he will have me, how am I so poor? Or how perhaps it seek, uh, it I seek not to advance or raise myself, but keep my wanted calling? And for dissension, who prefereth peace more than I do? 
except I be provoked. No, my good lords, it is not that offends. It is not that hath incensed the duke. It is because no one should sway but he. No one but he should be about the king. And that engenders thunder in his breast and makes him roar in these accusations forth. But he shall know I am as good. As good, thou bastard of my grandfather. Aye, lordy sir, for what are you, I pray, but one imperious in another's throne? Am I not protector, saucy priest? Am I not, I, a prelate of the church? Yes, as an outlaw in a castle keeps and useth it to patronage his theft. Unreverent Gloucester. Thou art reverent, touching thy spiritual function, not thy life. Rome shall remedy this. Rome, thither then. My lord, it were your duty to forbear. Ay, see the bishop be not overborne. Methinks my lord should be religious and know the office that belongs to such. Methinks his lordship should be humbler. It fitteth not a prelate so to plead. Yes, when his holy state is touched so near. Date holy or unhallowed, what of that? Is not his grace protector to the king? Plantagenet, I see, must hold his tongue, lest it be said, Speak, sirrah, when you, when you should. Must your bold verdict enter talk with lords? Else would I have a fling at Winchester. Uncles of Gloucester and Winchester, the special watchmen of our English wheel, I would prevail. If prayers might prevail to join your hearts in love and amity, Oh, what a scandal is it to our crown that two such noble peers as you should jar. Believe me, lords, my tender years can tell civil dissension is a viperous worm that gnaws the bowels of the commonwealth. Down with the tawny coats! What tumult's this? An uproar, I dare warrant, begun through malice of the bishop's men. Stones, stones! Enter, mayor. Oh, my good lords and virtuous Henry, pity the city of London, pity us. The bishop and the Duke of Gloucester's men, forbidden late to carry any weapon, have filled their pockets full of pebble stones and bending themselves in contrary parts do pelt so fast at one another's pate that many have their giddy brains knocked out. Our windows are broke down in every street and we for fear compelled to shut up our shops. Enter serving men in skirmish with bloody pates. We charge you on allegiance to ourselves to hold your slaughtering hands and keep the peace. Pray, Uncle Gloucester, mitigate this strife. Nay, if we be forbidden stones, we'll fall it with our teeth. Do what ye dare, we are as resolute. Skirmish again. You of my household, leave this peevish broil and set this unaccustomed fight aside. My lord, we know your grace to be a man. Just and upright and for your royal birth. Inferior to none. What is majesty? Is that, is that still me? Yeah, you don't have a third messenger, right? Or a third, uh... I thought I did. Uh, but just go ahead. Okay. 
period to number his majesty in air that we will suffer such a prince, so kind a father of the commonweal, to be disgraced by an inkhorn, mate. We and our wives and children all will fight and have our bodies slaughtered by the, thy foes. Aye, and the very parings of our nails shall pitch a field when we are dead. Begin again. Oh, stay, stay, I say. And if you love me as you say you do, let me persuade you to forbear a while. Oh, how this discord doth afflict my soul. Can you, my lord of Winchester, behold my sighs and tears and will not once relent? Who should be pitiful if you be not? Or who should study to prefer a peace if holy churchmen take delight in broils? Yield, my lord protector, yield Winchester. Except you mean, with obstinate repulse, to slay your sovereign and destroy the realm. You see what mischief and what murder, too, have been enacted through your enmity. Then be at peace, except ye thirst for blood. He shall be summit, or I will never yield. Compassion on the king commands me stoop. For I would see his heart out ere the priest should ever get that privilege of me. Behold, my lord of Winchester, the duke hath banished moody, discontented fury, as by his smooth brows it doth appear. Why look you still so stern and tragical? Here, Winchester, I offer thee my hand. Fie, Uncle Beaufort, I have heard you preach that malice was a great and grievous sin. And will not you maintain the thing you teach, but prove a chief offender in the same? Sweet king, the bishop hath a kindly gird. For shame, my lord of Winchester, relent. What shall a child instruct you what to do? Well, Duke of Gloucester, I will yield to thee. Love for thy love, and hand for hand I give. Ay, but I fear me with the hollow heart. See here, my friends and loving countrymen, this token serveth for a flag of truce betwixt ourselves and all our followers. So help me God as I dissemble not. So help me God as I intend it not. Oh, loving uncle, kind Duke of Gloucester, how joyful am I made by this contract. Away, my masters, trouble us no more, but join in friendship as your lords have done. Content. I'll to the surgeons. And so will I. And I will see what physic the tavern affords. Exit serving men, mayor, and company. Except this scroll, most gracious sovereign, which in the right of Richard Plantagenet we do exhibit to your majesty. Well urged, my lord of Warwick, or sweet prince, and if your grace mark every circumstance, you have great reason to do Richard right. Especially for those occasions at Elpham Place, I told your majesty. And those occasions, uncle, were a force. Therefore, my loving lords, our pleasure is that Richard be restored to his blood. Let Richard be restored to his blood. So shall his father's wrongs be recompensed. As will the rest, so will Winchester. If Richard will be true... Not that alone, but all the whole inheritance I give that doth belong unto the house of York, from whence you spring by lineal descent. Thy humble servant vows obedience and humble service till the point of death. Stoop then and set your knee against my foot 
And in regurden of that duty done, I gird thee with the valiant sword of York. Rise, Richard, like a true Plantagenet, and rise, created princely Duke of York. And so thrive, Richard, as thy foes may fall. And as my duty springs, so perish they that grudge one thought against your majesty. Welcome, Welcome high prince, prince, the mighty, mighty Duke, Duke of York. Perish, base prince, ignoble Duke of York. Now, will it best avail your majesty to cross the seas and to be crowned in France? The presence of a king engenders love amongst his subjects and his loyal friends as it disanimates his enemies. When Gloucester says the word, King Henry goes, for friendly counsel cuts off many foes. Your ships already are in readiness. Senate flourish exempt all but Exeter. Mo, can you start again with your mic closer to your mouth? Yeah, sorry. Hi, we may march in England or in France, not seeing what is likely to ensue. This late dissension grown betwixt the peers burns under feigned ashes of forged love and will at last break out into a flame as festered members rot, but by degree, till bones and flesh and sinews fall away, so will this base and envious discord breed. And now, I fear that fatal prophecy, which in the time of Henry named the fifth, was in the mouth of every sucking babe, that Henry, born at Monmouth, should win all, and Henry, born at Windsor, lose all, which is so plain that Exeter doth wish his days may finish ere that hapless time. Exit. Scene two, France, before Rouen? I don't know. Rouen. Enter Jean Lapoussel disguised with four soldiers with sacks upon their backs. These are the city gates, the gates of Rouen, through which our policy must make a breach. Take heed. Be wary how you place your words. Talk like the vulgar sort of market men that come to gather money for their corn. If we have entrance, as I hope we shall, and that we find a slothful watch but weak, I'll by a sign give notice to our friends that Charles the Dauphin may encounter them. Our sacks shall be a mean to sack the city, and we be lords and rulers over Rouen. Therefore, we'll not. Giela? Oh, Paisan, pauvre Jean de France. Poor market folks that come to sell their corn. Enter. Go in. The market bell is rung. Now, Rouen, I'll shake thy bulwarks to the ground. Exit. Enter Charles, the bastard of Orléans, Alençon, and Regnier and forces. Saint-Denis, bless this happy stratagem, and once again we'll sleep secure in Rouen. Here, uh, enter the Pucelle and her practicants, and uh, now she is there. How will she uh, specify where's the best and safest passage in? Huh? By thrusting out a torch from yonder tower, which, once discerned, shows that her meaning is no way to that 
for weakness with Shianta. Enter Joan LaPoussel on the top, thrusting out a torch and burning. Behold, this is the happy wedding torch that joineth Laurent unto her countrymen, but burning fatal to the Talbotese. Talbotites. Exit. See, noble Charles, the beacon of our friend, the burning torch in yonder turret stands. Eh? Now shine it like a comet of revenge, a prophet to the fall of our foes. If there no time, delays have dangerous ends. Enter and cry, the Dauphin, presently, and then do execution on the watch. Alarum, exeunt, and alarum enter Talbot in an excursion. Friend, thou shalt rue this treason with thy tears, if Talbot but survive thy treachery. Pusel, that witch, that damned sorceress, hath wrought this hellish mischief unawares, that hardly we escaped the pride of France. Exit and alarum excursions. Bedford brought in sick in a chair. Enter Talbot and Burgundy without. Within Joan Lapoussel, Charles, Bastard of Orleans, and Saint-Renier on the walls. Good morrow, gallants. Want ye corn for bread? I think the Duke of Burgundy will fast before he'll buy again at such a rate. Twas full of Darnell. Do you like the taste? Scoff on, vile fiend and shameless courtesan. I trust ere long to choke thee with thine own and make thee curse the harvest of that corn. Your grace may starve perhaps before that time. Oh, let no words but deeds revenge this treason. What will you do, good greybeard? Break a lance and run a tilt at death within a chair? Oh, fiend of France and hag of all despite encompassed with thy lustful paramours. Becomes it thee to taunt his valiant age and twit with cowardice a man half dead? Damsel, I'll have a bout with you again, or else let Talbot perish with this shame. Are ye so hot, sir? Yet, Pussel, hold thy peace. If Talbot do but thunder, rain will follow. God speed the Parliament. Who shall be the speaker? Dare ye come forth and meet us in the field. You like your lordship takes us then for fools, to try if that be our own, be ours, or no. I speak not to that railing Hecate, but unto thee, Alençon, and the rest. Will ye, like soldiers, come and fight it out? Signor, no. Signor, hang. Base muleteers of France, like peasant footboys, do they keep the walls and dare not take up arms like gentlemen. Away, captains. Let's get us from the walls, for Talbot means no goodness by his looks. Goodbye with you, my lord. We came but to tell you that we are here. Exunt from the walls. There will we be too ere it be long, or else reproach be Talbot's greatest fame. Thou, Burgundy, by honour of thy house, pricked on by public public wrong, sustained in France, either to get the town again or die. And I, as sure as English Henry lives, and as his father here was conqueror, as sure as in this late betrayed town, great Coeur de Lyons 
heart was buried. So sure, I swear to get the town or die. My vows are equal partners with thy vows. But ere we go, regard this dying prince, the valiant Duke of Bedford. Come, my lord, we will bestow you in some better place, fitter for sickness and for crazy age. Lord Talbot, do not so dishonor me. Here while I sit before the walls of Rouen, I will be partner of your weal or woe. Courageous Bedford, let us now persuade you. Not to be gone from hence, for once I read, for once I read that stout Pendragon and his litter sick came to the field and vanquished his foes. He thinks I should revive the soldiers' hearts because I ever found them as myself. Undaunted spirit in a dying breast. Then be it so. Heavens keep old Bedford safe. And now no more ado, brave Burgundy. But gather we our forces out of hand and set upon our boasting enemy. Exent all but Bedford in attendance, an alarm, excursions, enter Fastolf and a captain. Whither away, Sir John Fastolf, in such haste? Whither away, to save myself by flight? We are like to have the overthrow again. What, will you fly and leave Lord Talbot? Aye, all the Talbots in the world to save my life. Exit. Cowardly knight, ill fortune follow thee. Exit. Retreat, excursions, Joan Le Pousselle, Alençon, and Charles Fly. Now, right soul, depart when heaven please, for I have seen our enemies overthrow. What is the trust or strength of foolish man? They that of late were daring with their scoffs, are glad and fain by flight to save themselves. Bedford dies and is carried in. De Bedford dies and is carried in by two in his chair. An alarm re-enter Talbot, Burgundy, and the rest. Lost and recovered in a day again. This is a double honor, Burgundy. Yet heavens have glory for for this victory. Warlike and martial Talbot, Burgundy enshrines thee in his heart and there erects thy noble deeds as valor's monuments. Thanks, gentle duke. But where is Pousselle now? I think her old familiar is asleep. Now where's the bastard's braves and Charles his gleeks? What? All are mort. Rouen hangs her head for grief that such a valiant company are fled. Now will we take some order in the town placing therein some expert officers, and then depart to Paris to the king, for there young Henry with his nobles lie. What wills Lord Talbot pleaseth Burgundy. But yet, before we go, let's not forget the noble Duke of Bedford, late deceased, but see his exequies fulfilled in Rouen. A braver soldier never couched lance. A gentler heart did never sway in court. But kings and mightiest potentates must die, for that's the end of human misery. Exempt. Scene three, the plains near Rouen. 
Enter Charles, the Bastard of Orléans, Alençon, Joan, Joan La Pucelle, and forces. Dismay not, princes, at this accident, nor grieve that Rouen is so recovered. Care is no cure, but rather corrosive for things that are not to be remedied. Let frantic Talbot triumph for a while, and like a peacock sweep along his tail, will pull his plumes and take away his train. If do if don't. If Donfant and the rest will not be ruled. We have been guided by the hitherto, and of thy cunning had no diffidence. One sudden foil shall never be distrust. Search out thy wit for a secret policies, and we will make thee famous through the world. We will set thy statue in some holy place and have thee reverenced like a blessed saint. Employ the men then, sweet virgin, for our good. Then thus it must be. This doth Joan devise. By fair persuasions mixed with sugared words, we will entice the Duke of Burgundy to leave the Talbot and to follow us. Aye, merry sweeting, if we could do that... France were no place for Henri's warriors, nor should that nation boast it so with us, but be extinct from our province. Forever should they, they be expulsed from France and not have title of an earldom here. Your honor shall perceive how I will work to bring this matter to the wished end. Drum sounds afar off. Hark. By the sound of drum, you may perceive their powers are marching on to Paris ward. Here, sound an English march. Enter and pass over at a distance, Talbot and his forces. There goes the Talbot, with his color spread, and all the troops of English after him. French march. Enter Burgundian forces. Now, in the rear ward, in the rear ward comes the Duke, and his fortune in favor makes him lag behind. Summon a parley. We will talk with him. Trumpet sound a parley. A parley with the Duke of Burgundy. Who craves a parley with the Burgundy? The princely Charles of France, thy countryman. What sayest thou, Charles? For I am marching hence. Speak, Pucelle, and enchant him with thy words. Brave Burgundy, undoubted hope of France, stay. Let thy humble, hum- let thy humble handmaid speak to thee. Speak on but be not over tedious. Look on thy country. Look on fertile France and see the cities and towns defaced by wasting ruin of the cruel foe. As looks the mother on her lowly babe when death doth close his tender dying eyes. See, see the pining malady of France. Behold the wounds, the most unnatural wounds which thy thou self hast given her woeful breast. Oh, turn thy edged sword another way. Strike those that hurt, and hurt not those that help. One drop of blood drawn from thy country's bosom should grieve thee more than streams of foreign gore. Return thee, therefore, with a flood of tears, and wash away thy country's stained spots. Either she hath bewitched me with her words, or nature makes me suddenly relent. Besides, all French in France exclaims on thee, doubting thy birth and lawful progeny, who joins thou with but with a lordly nation that will not trust thee but for profit's sake? When Talbot hath set footing once in France and fashioned thee that instrument of ill, who then but English Henry will be lord and thou be thrust out like a fugitive? Call we to mind and mark but this 
for proof. Was not the Duke of Orléans thy foe? And was he not an England prisoner? But when they heard he was thine enemy, they set him free without his ransom paid, in spite of Burgundy and all his friends. See, then thou fightest against thy countrymen, and joinst with them will be thy slaughtermen. Come, come, return, return, thy wandering lord. Charles and the rest will take thee in their arms. I am vanquished. These haughty words of hers have battered me like roaring cannon shot and made me almost yield upon my knees. Forgive me, country and sweet countrymen, and lords, accept this hearty, kind embrace. My forces and my power of men are yours. So farewell, Talbot, I'll no longer trust thee. Done like a Frenchman, turn and turn again. Welcome, brave Duke, thy friendship makes us fresh. And doth beget new courage, uh, and... uh... In our uh, breasts. Pucelle hath bravely played her part in this, and doth deserve a coronet of gold. Now let us on, my lord, and join our powers, and seek how we may prejudice Zippo. Exent. Scene four, Paris, the palace, enter King Henry VI, Gloucester, Bishop of Winchester, York, Suffolk, Somerset, Warwick, Exeter, Vernon, Bassett, and others. To them with his soldiers, Talbot. My gracious prince and honorable peers, hearing of your arrival in this realm, I have a while given truce unto my wars to do my duty to my sovereign. In sign whereof this arm that this arm that hath reclaimed to your obedience fifty fortresses, twelve cities, and seven walled towns of strength, beside five hundred prisoners of esteem, let's fall his sword before your highness' feet, and with submissive loyalty of heart ascribes the glory of his conquest got first to my God. And next, unto your grace, Niels. Is this the Lord Talbot, Uncle Gloucester, that hath so long been resident in France? Yes, if it please your majesty, my liege. Welcome, brave captain and victorious lord. When I was young, as yet I am not old, I do remember how my father said a stouter champion never handled sword. Long since we were resolved of your truth, your faithful service, and your toil in war, yet never have you tasted our reward, or been regurdened with so much thanks, because till now we never saw your face. Therefore, stand up, and for these good deserts we here create you Earl of Shrewsbury, and in our coronation take your place. Senate flourish, exempt all but Vernon and Bassett. Now, sir, to you that were so hot at sea, disgracing of these colors that I wear in honor of my noble lord of York, darest thou maintain the former words thou spakest? Yes, sir, as well as you dare patronage the envious barking of your saucy tongue against my lord, the Duke of Somerset. Sirrah, that lord I honor as he is. Why, what is he? As good a man as York. Hark ye, not so. In witness, take ye that. Strikes him. Villain, thou knowest the law of arms is such that whoso draws a sword, tis present death, or else this blow should broach thy dearest blood. 
but I'll unto his majesty and crave I may have liberty to venge this wrong. When thou shalt see, I'll meet thee to thy cost. Well, miscreant, I'll be there as soon as you, and after meet you sooner than you would. Excellent. Act four, scene one, Paris, a hall of state. Enter King Henry the Sixth, Gloucester, Bishop of Winchester, York, Suffolk, Somerset, Warwick, Talbot, Exeter, the governor of Paris, and others. Lord Bishop, set the crown upon his head. God save King Henry of the name, that name, the sixth. Now, governor of Paris, take your oath that you elect no other king but him. Esteem none friends but such are his friends, and none your foes but such as shall pretend malicious practices against his state. This shall ye do, so help you righteous God. Enter Fastolf. My gracious sovereign, as I rode from Calais to haste unto your coronation, a letter was delivered to my hands, writ to your grace from the Duke of Burgundy. Shame to the Duke of Burgundy and thee. I vowed, base knight, when I did meet thee next, to tear the garter from thy craven's leg. Plucking it off. Which I have done, because unworthily, Thou wast installed in that installed in that high degree. Pardon me, princely Henry and the rest. This dastard at the Battle of Patek, when in all I was thousand strong, and that the French were almost ten to one before we met, or that a stroke was given. Like to a trusty squire did run away, in which assault we lost twelve hundred men. Myself and divers gentlemen beside were there surprised and taken prisoners. Then then judge, great lords, if I have done amiss, or whether that such cowards ought to wear this ornament of knighthood, yea or no. To say the truth, this fact was infamous, and ill-beseeming any common man, much more a knight, a captain, and a leader. When first this order was ordained, my lords, knights of the garter were of noble birth, valiant and virtuous, full of haughty courage, such as were grown to credit by the wars, not fearing death nor shrinking from distress, but always resolute in most extremes. He then that is not furnished in this sort doth but usurp the sacred name of knight, profaning this most honorable order, and should, if I were worthy to be if I were worthy to be judge, be quite degraded, like a hedge-born swain that doth presume to boast of gentle blood. Stain to thy countrymen, thou hearst thy doom. Be packing, therefore, thou that wast a knight. Henceforth we banish thee on pain of death. Exit false, fast off. <laughs> and, and now, my lord protector, view the letter sent from our uncle, Duke of Burgundy. Hmm. What means his grace that he hath changed his style? No more but plain and bluntly to the king. Hath he forgot he is his sovereign? Or doth this churlish superscription pretend some alteration in goodwill? 
what's here? I have, upon a special cause, moved with the compassion of my country's wreck, together with the pitiful complaints of such as your oppression feeds upon, forsaken your pernicious faction, and joined with Charles, the rightful king of France. Oh, monstrous treachery! Can this be so, that in alliance, amity, and oaths there should be found such false dissembling guile? What? Doth my uncle Burgundy revolt? He doth, my lord, and is become your foe. Is that the worst this letter doth contain? It is the worst and all, my lord, he writes. Why then, Lord Talbot there shall talk with him and give him chastisement for this abuse. How say you, my lord, are you content? Content, my liege, yes. But that I am prevented, I should have begged, I might have been employed. Then gather strength and march unto him straight. Let him perceive how ill we brook his treason and what offenses it is to flout his friends. I go, my lord, in heart desiring still you may behold confusion of your foes. Exit. Enter Vernon and Bassett. Grant me the combat, gracious con- sovereign. And me, my lord, grant me the combat, too. This is my servant. Hear him, noble prince. And this is mine. Sweet Henry, favor him. Be patient, lords, and give them leave to speak. Say, gentlemen, what makes you thus exclaim, and wherefore crave you combat, or with whom? With him, my lord, for he hath done me wrong. And I with him, for he hath done me wrong. What is the wrong whereof you both complain? First let me know, and then I'll answer you. Crossing the sea from England into France, this fellow here, with envious carping tongue, upbraided me about the rose I wore, saying the sanguine color of the leaves did represent my master's blushing cheeks, when stubbornly he did repugn the truth about a certain question in the law argued betwixt the Duke of York and him, with other vile and ignominious terms, in confutation of which rude reproach and in defense of my lord's worthiness, I crave the benefit of law of arms. And that is my petition, noble lord, for though he seemed with forged quaint conceit to set a gloss upon his bold intent, yet no, my lord, I was provoked by him, and he first took exceptions at this badge, pronouncing that the paleness of this flower bewrayed the faintness of my master's heart. Will not this malice Somerset be left? Your private grudge, my lord of York, will out, though ne'er so cunningly you smother it. Good lord, what madness rules in brain-sick men, when for so slight and frivolous a cause such factious emulations shall arise. Good cousins both of York and Somerset, quiet yourselves, I pray, and be at peace. Let this dissension first be tried by fight, and then your highness shall command a peace. The quarrel toucheth none but us alone. Betwixt ourselves, let us decide it then. There is my pledge. Accept it, Somerset. Nay, let it rest where it began at first. Confirm it so, mine honorable lord. Confirm it so. Confounded be your strife. And perish ye with your audacious prate. Presumptuous vassals, are you not ashamed with this immodest, clamorous outrage to trouble and disturb the king and us? And you, my lords, methinks you do not well to bear with their perverse objections. 
much less to take occasion from their mouths to raise a mutiny betwixt yourselves. Let me persuade you, take a better course. Grieves his highness. Good, my lords. Be friends. Come hither, you that would be combatants. Henceforth, I charge you, as you love our favor, quite to forget this quarrel and the cause. And you, my lord, remember where we are, in France, amongst a fickle, wavering nation. If they perceive dissension in our looks, and that within ourselves we disagree, how will their grudging stomachs be provoked to willful disobedience and rebel? Besides... What infamy will there arise when foreign princes shall be certified that for a toy, a thing of no regard, King Henry's peers and chief nobility destroyed themselves and lost the realm of France? Oh, think upon the conquest of my father, my tender years, and let us not forgo that for a trifle that was bought with blood. Let me be umpire in this doubtful strife. I see no reason. If I wear this rose, putting on a red rose, that anyone should therefore be suspicious, I'm more inclined to Somerset than York. Both are my kinsmen, and I love them both. As well they may upbraid me with my crown, because forsooth the king of Scots is crowned. But your discretions better can persuade than I am able to instruct or teach. And therefore, as we hither came in peace, so let us still continue peace and love. Cousin of York, we insinuate your grace to be our regent in these parts of France. And good my lord of Somerset, unite your troops of horsemen with his bands of foot. And like true subjects, sons of your progenitors, go cheerfully together and digest your angry collar on your enemies. Ourself, my lord protector, and the rest, after some respite, will return to Calais. From thence to England, where I hope ere long to be presented by your victories, with Charles and Alanson and that traitorous rout. Flourish, exempt all but York, Warwick, Exeter, and Vernon. My lord of York, I promise you, the king prettily methought, did play the order. And so he did, but yet I like it not in that he wears the badge of Somerset. Tush! That was but his fancy. Blame him not. I dare presume, sweet prince, he thought no harm. And if he wished, he did. But let it rest. Other affairs must now be managed. Exunt Alba Exeter. Well didst thou, Richard, to suppress thy voice. For had the passions of thy heart burst out, I fear we should have seen, deciphered there, more rancorous spite, more furious raging broils, than yet can be imagined or supposed. But howsoever, no simple man that sees this jarring discord of nobility, this shouldering of each other in the court, this factious bandying of their favorites, but that it doth presage some ill event. Tis much when scepters are in children's hands, but more when envy breeds unkind division. There comes the rain. There begins confusion. Exit. Scene two before Bordeaux. Enter Talbot with trump and drum. Go to the gates of Bordeaux, trumpeter. Summon their general unto the wall. 
Trumpet sounds enter general and others aloft. English John Talbot, captains, calls you forth, servant in arms to Harry, king of England. And thus he would. Open York city gates. Be humble to us. Call my, call my sovereign yours and do him homage as obedient subjects. And I'll withdraw me and my bloody power. But if you frown upon this proffered peace, you tempt the fury of my three attendants, lean famine, quartering steel, and climbing fire, who in a moment, even with the earth, shall lay your stately and air-braving towers if you forsake the offer of their love. Thou ominous and fearful owl of death, our nation's terror and thy bloody scourge, the period of thy tyranny approacheth it. On us thou canst not enter but by death, for I protest we are well fortified and strong enough to issue out and fight. If thou retire, the Dauphin, well appointed, stands with the snares of war to tangle thee. On either hand thee there are squadrons pitched to wall thee from the liberty of flight. And no way canst thou turn thee for redress, but death doth front thee with apparent spoil, and pale destruction meets thee in the face. Ten thousand French have taken the sacrament to riv their dangerous artillery upon no Christian soul but English Talbot. Lo, there thou standst, a breathing valiant man of an invincible, unconquered spirit. This is the latest glory of thy praise, that I, thy enemy, Jew thee withal. For ere the glass that now begins to run finish the process of this sandy hour, these eyes that see thee now well-colored shall see thee withered, bloody, pale, and dead. Drum afar off. Hark! Hark the Dauphin's drum, a warning bell, sings heavy music to thy timorous soul, and mine shall ring thy dire departure out. Exent General and Company. He fables not. I hear the enemy. Out, some light horsemen, and peruse their wings. Oh, negligent and heedless discipline. How are we parked and bounded in a pale, a little herd of England's timorous deer mazed with a yelping kennel of French curs? If we be English deer, be then in blood, not rascal-like to fall down with a pinch, but rather moody, mad, and desperate stags turn on the bloody hounds with heads of steel and make the cowards stand aloof at bay. Sell every man his life as dear as mine, and they shall find dear, dear of us, my friends. God and St. George, Talbot and England's right, prosper our colors in this dangerous fight. Exunt. Scene three, Plains in Gascony. Enter a messenger that meets York. Enter York with trumpet and many soldiers. 
Are not the speedy scouts returned again that dogged the mighty army of the Dauphin? They are returned, my lord, and give it out that he has marched to Bordeaux with his power to fight with Talbot. As he marched along, by your espials were discovered two mightier troops than that the Dauphin had led, which joined with him and made their march for Bordeaux. A plague upon that villain Somerset that thus delays my promised supply of horsemen that were levied for this siege. Renowned Talbot doth expect my aid, and I am loted by a traitor villain, and cannot help the noble chevalier. God comfort him in this necessity if he miscarry. Farewell, wars in France. Enter Sir William Lucy. Thou princely leader of our English strength, never so needful of the earth of France, spur to the rescue of the noble Talbot, who now is girdled with a waist of iron and hemmed about with grim destruction. To Bordeaux, warlike Duke! To Bordeaux, York! Else, farewell, Talbot, France, and England's honour! Oh, God! And Somerset, who in proud heart doth stop my coronets, were in Talbot's place. So should we save a valiant gentleman by forfeiting a traitor and a coward. Mad ire and wrathful fury makes me weep that thus we die while remiss traitors sleep. Oh, send some succor to the distressed lord. He dies, we lose. I break my warlike word. We mourn, France smiles. We lose, they daily get all long of this vile traitor Somerset. Then God take mercy on brave Talbot's soul and on his son, young John, who two hours since I met him travel toward his warlike father. These seven years did not Talbot see his son, and now they meet where both their lives are done. Alas, what joy shall noble Talbot have to bid his young son welcome to his grave? Away, vexation almost stops my breath, and sundered friends greet in the hour of death. Lucy, farewell. No more fortune can but curse the cause I cannot aid the man. Maine, Bloss, Poitiers, and Tours are one way, along all of Somerset and his delay. Exit with his soldiers. Is thus while the vulture of sedition feeds in the bosom of such great commanders, sleeping, neglection doth betray to loss, the conquest of our scarce cold conqueror, that ever-living man of memory, Henry V. Whilst they each other cross, lives, honours, lands, and all hurried loss. Exit. Scene four. Other plains in Gascony. Enter Somerset with his army, a captain of Talbot's with him. It is too late. I cannot send them now. This expedition was by York and Talbot too rashly plotted. All our general force might, with a sally of the very town, be buckled with. The overdaring Talbot hath sullied all his gloss of former honor by his unheedful desperate, wild adventure. York set on him to fight and die in shame. That, Talbot dead, great York may bear the name. Here is Sir William Lucy, who with me set from our overmatched forces forth for aid. Enter Sir William Lucy. How now, Sir William? Whither were you sent? Whither, my lord? From bought and sold Lord Talbot? who ringed about with bold adversity, cries out for a noble York and Somerset. 
to Peter sailing death from his weak legions, and whilst the honorable captain there drops bloody sweat from his war-wearied limbs, and in advantage lingering looks for rescue, you, his false hopes, the trust of England's honor, keep off aloof with worthless emulation, changing hats from person to person. I can see you do that. Let not your private discord keep away the levied sucker that should lend him aid. While he, renowned noble gentleman, yields up his life unto a world of odds, Orient the Bastard, Charles, Burgundy, Alencon, Renier, compass him about, and Talbot perisheth by your default. York set him on. York should have sent him aid. And York is fast upon your grace exclaims, swearing that you withhold his levied host, corrected for this expedition. York lies. He might have sent and had the horse. I owe him little duty and less love, and take full scorn to fawn him by on, fawn on him by sending. The fraud of England, not the force of France, hath now entrapped the noble-minded Talbot. Never to England shall he bear his life, but dies betrayed to fortune by your strife. Come, go. I will dispatch the horsemen straight. Within six hours they will be at his aid. Too late comes rescue. He is ta'en or slain. For fly he could not if he would have fled. And fly would Talbot never, though he might. If he be dead, brave Talbot, then adieu. His fame lives in the world, his shame in you. Exunt. Scene 5, the English camp near Bordeaux. Enter Talbot and John, his son. Oh, young John Talbot. I did send for thee to tutor thee in stratagems of war, that Talbot's name might in thee, be, in, be in thee revived. When sapless age and weak, unable limbs should bring thy father to his drooping chair. But, oh, malignant and ill-boding stars, now thou art come unto a feast of death, a terrible and unavoided danger. Therefore, dear boy, mount on my swiftest horse, and I'll direct thee how thou shalt escape by sudden flight. Come. Dally not. Be gone. Is my name Talbot? And am I your son? And shall I fly? Oh, if you love my mother, dishonor not her honorable name to make a bastard and a slave of me. The world will say he is not Talbot's blood that basely fled when noble Talbot stood. Fly to revenge my death if I be slain. He that flies so will ne'er return again. If we both stay, we both are sure to die. Then let me stay, father. Do you fly? Your loss is great, so your regard should be. My worth unknown. No loss is known in me. Upon my death the French can little boast. In yours they will, and in you all hopes are lost. Light cannot stain the honor you have won. Mine it will that no exploit have done. You fled for vantage. Everyone will swear. But if I bow, they'll say it was for fear. 
there is no hope that ever I will stay. The first hour I shrink and run away. Here on my knee, I beg mortality rather than life preserved with infamy. Shall all thy mother's hopes lie in one tomb? Aye, rather than I'll shame my mother's womb. Upon my blessing, I command thee, go. To fight I will, but not to fly the foe. Part of thy father may be saved in thee. No part of him, but will be shame in me. Thou never hadst renowned, nor canst not lose it. Yes, your renowned name. Shall flight abuse it? Thy father's charge shall clearly clear thee from that stain. We cannot witness for me being slain. If death be so apparent, then both fly. And leave my followers here to fight and die? My age was never tainted with such shame. And shall my youth be guilty of such blame? No more can I be severed from your side than can yourself, yourself and twain divide. Stay. Go do what you will, the like do I. For live I will not, if my father die. Then here I take my leave of thee, fair son, born to eclipse thy life this afternoon. Come, side by side, together, live and die. And soul with soul, from friend to heaven fly. Exunt, scene six, a field of battle, alarm, excursions, wherein John, John Talbot is hemmed about and Talbot rescues him. St. George and victory, fight, soldiers, fight. The regent hath with Talbot broke his sword and left us to the rage of France. Broke his word and left us to the rage of France, his sword. Where is John Talbot? Pause and take thy breath. I gave thee life and rescued thee from death. Oh, twice, my father, twice am I thy son. The life thou gavest me first was lost and done. Till with thy warlike sword, despite of late, to my determined time thou gavest new date. When from the Dauphin's crest thy sword struck fire, it warmed thy father's heart with proud desire of bold-faced victory. Then leaden age, quickened with youthful spleen and warlike rage, beat down Alençon, Orléans, Burgundy, and from the pride of Gallia rescued thee, the ireful bastard Orléans that drew blood from thee, my boy, and had the maidenhood of thy first fight I soon encountered, and interchanging blows, I quickly shed some of his bastard blood, and in disgrace bespoke him thus. Contaminated, base, and misbegotten blood, I spill of thine, mean and right poor, for that pure blood of mine, which thou didst force from Talbot, my brave boy, here. Purposing the bastard to destroy, came in strong rescue. Speak, thy father's care. Art thou not weary, John? How dost thou fare? Wilt thou yet leave the battle 
boy and fly, now thou art sealed the son of chivalry? Fly to revenge my death when I am dead. The help of one stands me in little stead. Oh, too much folly is it well I wot to hazard all our lives in one small boat. If I today die not with Frenchman's rage, tomorrow I shall die with mickle age. By me they nothing gain, and if I stay, tis but the shortening of my life one day. In thee thy mother dies, our household's name, my death's revenge, thy youth, and England's fame. All these and more we hazard by thy stay. All these are saved if thou wilt fly away. Sword of Orleans hath not made me smart. These words of yours draw lifeblood from my heart. On that advantage bought with such a shame, to save a paltry life and slay bright fame, before young Talbot from old Talbot fly, the coward horse that bears me fail and die, and like me to the peasant boys of France, to be shamed, scorn, and subject of mischance. Surely by all the glory you have won, and if I fly, I am not Talbot's son. And then talk no more of flight. It is no boot. If I, if son to Talbot die at Talbot's foot. And follow thou thy desperate sire of Crete, thou Icarus. Thy life to me is sweet. If thou wilt fight, fight by thy father's side. And commendable prove. Let die in her. Exempt. Scene seven, another part of the field, alarm excursions, enter Talbot led by a servant. And, uh, <laughs> Where is my other life? Mine own is gone. Oh, where's young Talbot? Where is valiant John? Triumphant death. Smeared with captivity, young Talbot's valor makes me smile at thee. When he perceived me shrink and on my knee, his bloody sword he brandished over me, and like a, like a hungry lion did commence rough deeds of rage and stern impatience. But when my angry garden stood alone, tendering my ruin and assailed of none, dizzy-eyed fury and great rage of heart suddenly made him from my side to start into the clustering battle of the French. And in that sea of blood, my boy did drench his overmounting spirit, and there died my Icarus, my blossom. In his pride. Oh, my dear lord, lo, where your son is born. Enter soldiers with the body of John Talbot. Thou antic death, which laughst us here to scorn. Anon from thy insulting tyranny, coupled in bonds of perpetuity, two Talbots, 
winged through the, the lither sky. In thy despite shall scape mortality. Oh, thou whose wounds become hard favored death. Speak to thy father ere thou yield thy breath. Brave death by speaking, whether he will or no. Imagine him a Frenchman and thy foe. Oh boy. He smiles, methinks, as who should say, had death been French, then death had died today. Come. Come and lay him in his father's arms. My spirit can no longer bear these arms. Soldiers, adieu. I have what I would have. Now my old arms are young John Talbot's grave. Dies. Enter Charles Alençon, Burgundy, Bastard of Orléans, Joan Le Pousselle, and forces. And York and Somerset brought rescue in. We should have found a bloody day of this. Ah, how the young whelp of uh, Talbot's raging wood did flash his puny sword and uh, Frenchman's blood. Once I encountered him, and thus I said, Thou maiden youth, be vanquished by a maid. But with a proud, majestical high scorn, he answered thus, Young Talbot was not born to be the pillage of a giglet wench. So rushing in the bowels of the French, he left me proudly as an unworthy fight. Doubtless he would have made a noble knight see where he lies and harassed in the arms of the most bloody nurser of his arms. Hear them, pieces, actor, bones asunder, whose life was England's glory. Galliers, wonder. Oh no, forbear, for that which we have fled during the life, let us not wrong it in debt. Enter Sir William Lucy attended, herald of the French proceeding. Lucy? What? Herald, conduct me to the Dauphin's tent to know who hath obtained the glory of the day. On what submissive message out the scent? Submission, Dauphin? It is a mere French word. We, English warriors, what not what it means. I come to know what prisoners thou hast taken, and to survey the bodies of the dead. For prisoners ask it thou. L is our prison. But tell me whom thou seekst. But where's the great Alcides of the field? Valiant Lord Talbot. Earl of Shrewsbury, created for his rare success in arms. Great Earl of Wasford, Waterford and Balance. Lord Talbot of Good Rig and Urkinian Fields. Lord Strange of Blackmere. Lord Verum of Alton. Lord Cromwell of Wingfield. Lord Furnival of Sheffield. The thrice victorious Lord of Falconbridge. Knight of the Noble Order of St. George. Worthy St. Michael and the Golden Fleece, great marshal to Henry the Sixth of all his wars within the realm of France. Here's a silly, stately style indeed. I don't know the Turk the two and fifty kingdoms hath writes not so tedious a style as this. Him that thou magnifiest with all those titles, stinking and fly-blown, lies here at our feet. 
is Talbot slain, the Frenchman's only scourge. Your kingdom's terror and black nemesis? Who were mine eyeballs into bullets turned that I in rage might shoot them in your faces? Oh, that I could but call these dead to life. It were enough to fright the realm of France, were but his picture left amongst you here. It would amaze the proudest of you all. Give me their bodies, that I might bear them hence, and give them burial as beseems their worth. I think this upstart is old Talbot's ghost. He speaks with such a profound, well, he speaks with such a proud, commanding spirit. For God's sakes, let him have them. To keep them here, they would but stink and putrefy the air. Go, take their bodies hence. I'll bear them hence, but from their ashes shall be reared a phoenix that shall make all France a feared. Don't you roll your eyes at me. So we be rid of them. Do with them what thou wilt. And now to Paris. In this conquering vein, all will be ours. Now bloody Talbot's slain. Excellent. Act 5, scene 1, London the, London the Palace, Senate. Enter King Henry VI, Gloucester, and Exeter. Have you perused the letters from the Pope, the Emperor, and the Earl of Armagnac? I have, my lord, and their intent is this. They humbly sue unto your excellence to have a godly peace concluded of between the realms of England and of France. How doth your grace affect their motion? Well, my good lord, and as the only means to stop a fusion of our Christian blood and establish quietness on every side. I marry, uncle, for I always thought it was both impious and unnatural that such immanity and bloody strife should reign among professors of one faith. Beside, my lord, the sooner to effect and surer bind this knot of amity, the Earl of Armagnac, near knit to Charles, a man of great authority in France, proffers his only daughter to your grace in marriage, with a large and sumptuous dowry. Marriage, uncle? Alas, my years are young, and fitter is my study and my books than wanton dalliance with a paramour. <laughs> Yet call the ambassador, and as you please, so let them have their answers every one. I shall be well content with any choice tends to God's glory and my country's mm. weal. Under Cardinal Winchester in Cardinal's habit, a legate and two ambassadors. What? Is my Lord of Winchester installed and called onto a cardinal's decree, degree? Then I perceive that will be verified. Henry V did sometime prophecy. If once he come to be a cardinal, he'll make his cap co-equal with the crown. My lords, ambassadors, your several suits have been considered and debated on, and therefore are we certainly resolved to draw conditions of a friendly peace, which by my lord of Winchester, we mean, shall be transported presently to France. And for the proffer of my lord, your master, I have informed his highness so at large as liking of the lady's virtuous gifts, her beauty, and the value of her dower, he doth intend she shall be England's queen. In argument and proof of which contract, bear her this jewel, pledge of my affection. 
And so, my Lord Protector, see them guarded and safely brought to Dover, where, wherein shipped, commit them to the fortune of the sea. Exint all but Cardinal of Winchester and Leggett. Stay, my Lord of Leggett. You shall first receive the sum of money which I promised should be delivered to his holiness for clothing me in these grave ornaments. I will attend, attend upon your lordship's leisure. Now Winchester will not submit, I trow, or be inferior to the proudest peer. Humphrey of Gloucester, thou shalt well perceive that neither in birth or in authority the bishop will be overborne by thee. I'll either make thee stoop, or bend thy knee, or sack this country with a mutiny. Exit. Scene two, France, Plains and Anjou. Enter Charles Burgundy, Alisson, Bastard of Orléans, Regnier, Joan La Pucelle, and forces. This news, my lord, may cheer our drooping spirits. He said the stout Parisian do revolt and turn again unto the warlike French. Then march to Paris, royal Charles of France, and keep not back your powers of dalliance. Peace be amongst them. If they turn to us, else ruin combat with our palaces. Enter Scout. Success unto our valiant general and happiness to his accomplices. What tidings send our scouts? I presume. Speak. The English army that divided Paris into two parties is now conjoined in one and means to give you battle presently. Somewhat too sudden, sirs, this warning is, but we will presently provide for them. I trust the ghost of Talbot is not there. Now he is gone, my lord, you need not fear. Of all base passions, fear is most accursed. Command the conquest, Charles. It shall be thine. Let Henry fret and all the world repine. Then on, my lord, and France be fortunate. Exit. Scene three before Angiers. Alarm, excursions, enter Joan La Pucelle. The regent conquerors and the Frenchmen fly. You help, ye charming spells and periaps, and ye choice spirits that admonish me and give me signs of future accidents. Thunder. You speedy helpers that are substitutes under the lordly monarch of the north appear and aid me in this enterprise. Interfiends. This speedy and quick appearance argues proof of your accustomed diligence to me. Now, ye familiar spirits that are called out of the powerful regions under earth, help me with this once, that France may get the field. They walk and speak not. Oh, hold me not with silence over long. Why, I was wont to feed you with my blood, I'll lop a member off and give it to you in earnest of further benefit, so you do condescend to help me now. They hang their heads. No hope to have redress? My body shall pay recompense if you will grant my suit. They shake their heads. Cannot my body nor blood sacrifice entreat you to your wanted furtherance? Then take my soul, my body, soul, and all, before that England give the French the foil. They depart. See thy forsake me. Now the time has come that France must veil her lofty plumed crest and let her head fall into England's lap. My ancient incantations are too weak and hell too strong for me to buckle with. Now France, 
say, glory droopeth to the dust. Exit. Excursions re-enter Joan LaPoussel fighting hand-to-hand with York. Joan LaPoussel is taken, the French fly. Damsel of France, I think I have you fast. Unchain your spirits now with spelling charms, and try, if they can, gain your liberty. A godly prize, a goodly prize, fit for the devil's grace. See how the ugly wench doth bend her brows, as if Circe she would change by shape. Change to a worser shape thou canst not be. Oh, Charles Dauphin's a proper man. No shape but his can please your dainty eye. A plaguing mischief, mischief light on Charles and thee. And may ye both be suddenly surprised by bloody hands and sleeping on your beds. Bell, banning hag, enchantress, hold thy tongue. I prithee, give me leave to curse a while. Curse, miscreant, when thou comes to the stake. Exeunt. Alarm. Enter Suffolk with Margaret in his hand. Be what thou wilt, thou art my prisoner. Gazes on her. O fairest beauty, do not fear nor fly, for I will touch thee but with reverent hands. I kiss these fingers for eternal peace, and lay them gently on thy tender side. Who art thou? Say that I may honor thee. Margaret, my name, and daughter to a king, the king of Naples, whosoever thou art. An earl I am, and Suffolk am I called. Be not offended, nature's miracle. Thou art allotted to be taken by me. So doth the swan her downy signet save, keeping them prisoner underneath her wings. Yet if this Sorrel usage once offend, go and be free again as Suffolk's friend. She is going. Oh, stay. I have no power to let her pass. My hand would free her, but my heart says no, and plays the sun upon the glassy streams, twinkling another counterfeited beam. So seems this gorgeous beauty to mine eyes. Fain would I woo her, yet I dare not speak. I'd call for pen and ink and write my mind. Fie, de la pole. Disable not thyself. Has not a tongue. Is she not here? Wilt thou be daunted at a woman's sight? Ay, beauty's princely majesty is such. Confounds the tongue and makes the senses rough. Say, Earl of Suffolk, if thy name be so, what ransom must I pay before I pass? For I perceive I am thy prisoner. How canst thou tell she will deny thy suit before thou make a trial of her love? Why speak'st thou not? What ransom must I pay? She's beautiful, and therefore to be wooed. She is a woman, therefore to be won. Wilt thou accept of ransom, yea or no? Fond man, remember thou hast a wife. Then how can Margaret be thy paramour? I were best to leave him, for he will not hear. There all is marred. There lies the cooling card. He talks at random. Sure, the man is mad. And yet a a dispensation may be had. And yet I would that you would answer me. I'll win this, Margaret. For whom? Why? For my king. Tush, that's a wooden thing. He talks of wood. It is some 
Carpenter. Yet so my fancy may be satisfied and peace established between these realms, but there remains a scruple in that too. For though her father be the king of Naples, Duke of Anjou in Maine, yet is he poor, and our nobility will scorn the match. Hear ye, Captain, are you not at leisure? It shall be so. Disdain thee ne'er so much. Henry is youthful, and will quickly yield. Madam, I have a secret to reveal. What, though I be enthralled? He seems a knight, and will not any way dishonor me. Lady, vouchsafe to listen what I say. Perhaps I shall be rescued by the French, and then I need not crave his courtesy. Sweet madam, give me hearing in a cause. Hush, women have, women have been captivated ere, ere now. Lady, wherefore, you t- wherefore talk you so? I cry you mercy, tis but quid for quo. Say, gentle princess, would you not suppose your bondage happy to be made a queen? To be a queen in bondage is more vile than is a slave in base servility, for princes should be free. And so shall you, if happy England's royal king be free. Why, what concerns his freedom unto me? I'll undertake to make thee Henry's queen, to put a golden scepter in thy hand and set a precious crown upon thy head, if thou wilt condescend to be my... What? His love. I am unworthy to be Henry's wife. No, gentle madam, I unworthy am to who so fair a dame to be his wife and have no portion in the choice myself. How say you, madam, are ye so content? And if my father please, I am content. Then call our captains and our colors forth, and madam, at your father's castle walls, we'll crave a parley with him to confer with him. A parley sounded, enter Renier on the walls. See, Renier, see thy daughter prisoner. To whom? To me. Suffolk, what remedy? I am a soldier, and unapt to weep or to exclaim on fortune's fickleness. Yes, there is remedy enough, my lord. Consent, and for thy honor give consent, thy daughter shall be wedded to my king who I with pain have wooed and won thereto. And this her easy-held imprisonment hath gained thy daughter princely liberty. Speak Suffolk as he thinks. Fair Margaret knows that Suffolk doth not flatter face or fame. Uh, upon, thy, uh, upon thy princely warrant, I descend to give the answer of thy just demand. And here I will expect thy coming. Trumpet sound, enter Rainier below. Welcome, brave Earl, into our territories. Command in Anjou what your honor pleases. Thanks, Rainier. Happy for so sweet a child, fit to be made companion with a king. What answer makes your grace unto my suit? Since thou dost deign to woo her little word, to be the princely bride of such a lord, upon condition I may quietly enjoy mine own, the countryman, and Anjou. 
free from oppression or the stroke of war, my daughter shall be Henry's, if he, if he please. That is her ransom. I deliver her. And these two countries I will undertake. Your grace shall well and quietly enjoy. And I, again, in Henri's own name, as deputy unto that gracious king, give thee her hand for sign of plighted faith. Renier of France, I give thee kingly thanks, because this is in traffic of the king. And yet, methinks, I could be well content to be mine own attorney in this case. I'll over then to England with this news and make this marriage to be solemnized. So farewell, Renier. Set this diamond safe in golden palaces as it becomes. I do embrace thee as I would embrace the Christian prince Henri, King Henri, were he here. Farewell, my lord. Good wishes, praise, and prayers shall Suffolk ever have of Margaret. Going. Farewell, sweet madam. But hark you, Margaret. No princely commendations to my king. Such commendations as become a maid, a virgin, and his servant, say to him. Words sweetly placed and modestly directed. But, madam, I must trouble you again. No loving token to his majesty. Yes, my good lord, a pure, unspotted heart, never yet taint with love, I send the king. And this withal kisses her. After thyself, I will not so presume to send such peevish tokens to a king. Exunt Rainier and Margaret. Wert thou for myself, but Suffolk stay. But mayest not wander in that labyrinth. There minotaurs and ugly treasons lurk, solicit Henry with her wondrous praise. Bethink thee on her virtues that surmount and natural graces that distinguish art. Repeat their semblance often on the seas, that when thou comest to kneel at Henry's feet, thou mayest bereave him of his wits with wonder. Exit. Scene four, camp of the York in Anjou. Enter York, Warwick, and others. Ring forth that sorceress condemned to burn. Enter Joan La Pucelle, guarded and a shepherd. Uh, Joan, this kills thy, thy father's heart outright. Have I sought every country far and near, and now it is my chance to find thee out. Must I behold thy timeless, cruel death? Ah, uh, Joan, sweet daughter Joan, I'll die with thee. Decrepit miser, base, ignoble wretch. I am descendant of a gentler blood. Thou art no father, nor no friend of mine. Out, out, my lords, and please you, tis not so. I did beget her, all the parish knows. Her mother liveth yet, can testify she was the first fruit of my bachelorship. Graceless, wilt thou deny thy parentage? This argues what kind of li- what her kind of life hath been, wicked and vile, and so her death concludes. Fie, Joan, that thou wilt be so obstacle. God knows thou art a collop of my flesh, and for thy sake have I shed many a tear. Deny me not, I prithee, gentle Joan. Peasant avaunt, you stubborn this man. Of, cor- of purpose to obscure my noble birth. 
tis true. I gave a noble to the priest the morn that I was wedded to thy mother. Kneel down and take my blessing, good my girl. Will thou not stoop? Now cursed be the time of thy nativity. I would the milk thy mother gave thee would thou sucks her breast have been a little rat's bane for thy sake. Or else when thou didst keep my lambs afield, I wish some ravenous wolf had eaten thee. Dost thou deny thy father cursed drab? Oh, burn her, burn her. Hanging is too good. Exit. Take her away. For she hath lived too long to fill the world with vicious qualities. First, let me tell you whom you have condemned. Not me begotten of a shepherd's swain, but issued from the progeny of kings. Virtuous and holy, chosen from above, by inspiration of celestial grace to work exceeding miracles on earth. I never had to do with wicked spirits, but you that are polluted with your lust, stained with the guiltless blood of innocence, corrupt and tainted with a thousand vices, because you want the grace that others have, you judge it straight, a thing impossible to compass wonders, but by help of devils. No, misconceived. Joan of Arc hath been a virgin from her tender infancy, chaste, an immaculate in very thought, whose maiden blood thus rigorously effused will cry for vengeance at the gates of heaven. Aye, aye, away with her to execution. And hark ye, sirs, because she is a maid, spare for no faggots, let there be now. Place barrels of pitch upon the fatal stake so that so her torture may be shortened. Will nothing turn your unrelenting hearts? Then, Joan, discover thine infirmity that warranteth by law to be led, by law to be thy privilege. I am with child, ye bloody homicides. Murder not then the fruit within my womb, although ye hail me to a violent death. Now, heaven forfend the holy maid with child. The greatest miracle that e'er ye wrought is all your strict preciseness come to this? She and the Dauphin have been juggling. I did imagine what would be her refuge. Well, go to. We'll have no bastards live, especially since Charles must bother it. You are deceived. My child is none of his. It was Alençon that enjoyed my love. Alençon, that notorious Machiavelli. (laughs) It dies. And if it had a thousand lives. Oh, give me leave. I have deluded you. T'was neither Charles nor the Duke I named, but Renier, King of Naples, that prevailed. A married man! That's most intolerable. Why, here's a girl. I think she knows well. There were so many whom she may accuse. (laughs) It's fine. She hath been liberal and free. And yet, forsooth, she is a virgin pure. Strumpet, thy words condemn thy brat in thee. Use no entreaty, for it is in vain. And lead me hence with whom I leave my curse. May never glorious sun reflects his beams upon the country where you make abode, but darkness and the gloomy shade of death environ in you till mischief and despair drive you to break your necks or hang yourselves. Exit guarded. Break thou in pieces and consume to ashes, thou foul, accursed minister of hell. Enter Cardinal of Winchester attended. Lord Regent. I do greet your excellence with letters of commission from the king. 
For no, my lords, the states of Christendom, moved with remorse of these outrageous broils, have earnestly implored a general peace betwixt our nation and the aspiring French. And here at hand, the Dauphin and his train approacheth to confer about some matter. Is all our travail turned to this effect? After the slaughter of so many peers, so many captains, gentlemen, and soldiers, that in this quarrel have been overthrown and sold their bodies for their country's benefit. Shall we at last conclude effeminate peace? Have we not lost most part of all the towns by treason, falsehood, and by treachery our great progenitors had conquered? Oh, Warwick, Warwick, I foresee with grief the utter loss of all the realm of France. Patient York, if we conclude a peace, it shall be with such strict and severe covenants as little shall the Frenchmen gain thereby. Enter Charles Alençon, Bastard of Orléans, Regnier, and others. Since, lords of England, it is thus agreed that peaceful truce shall be proclaimed in France, we come to be informed by ourselves what the conditions of the League must be. Speak, Winchester. A boiling collar chokes the hollow passage of my poisoned voice by sight of these our baleful enemies. Charles, and the rest, it is enacted thus, that in regard King Henry gives consent of mere compassion and of lenity to ease your country of distressful war and suffer you to breathe in fruitful peace. You shall become true liege men of to his crown, and Charles... Upon condition thou wilt swear to pay him tribute, submit thyself. Thou shalt be placed as a viceroy under him, and still enjoy the regal dignity. Must he be then a, a shadow of himself, adorn his temples with a coronet, and yet, in substance and authority, retain the but privilege of a private man? This proffer is absurd and reasonless. Tis known already that I am possessed with more than half the Gallian territory, and therein reverence for their lawful king. Shall I, for lucre of the rest unvanquished, detract so much from that prerogative as to be called but viceroy of the whole? No, Lord Ambassador, I'll rather keep that which I have than coveting for more be cast from possibility of all. Oh, insulting Charles, hast thou by secret means used intercession to obtain a league? And now the matter grows to compromise. Stand'st thou aloof upon comparison? Either accept the title thou usurpest of benefit proceeding from our king, and not of any challenge of desert, or will plague thee with incessant wars. My lord, you do not dwell in obstancy to cavil in the course of this contract. If once it be neglected, ten to one we shall not find the like opportunity. To say the truth, it is your policy to save your subjects from such massacres and ruthless slaughters as are daily seen by our proceeding in hostility. And therefore take this compact as a truth. Although you break it when your pleasure serves. How sayest? Now, Charles, shall our condition stand? 
it shall. Only reserved, you claim no interest in any of our towns of garrison. And swear allegiance to his majesty, as thou art knight, never to disobey, nor be rebellious to the crown of England. Thou, nor thy nobles to the crown of England. So now, dismiss your army when ye please. Hang up your ensign, let your drums be still. For here we entertain a solemn peace. Exeunt. Scene 5, London, the palace. Enter Suffolk in conference with King Henry VI, Gloucester, and Exeter. Your wondrous rare description, noble Earl of Beauteous Margaret, hath astonished me. Her virtues, graced with external gifts, do breed love's settled passions in my heart, and like as rigor of tempestuous gusts provokes the mightiest hulk against the tide, so am I driven by breath of her renown either to suffer shipwreck or arrive where I may have fruition of her love. Touch, my good lord. This superficial tale is but a preface of her worthy praise. The chief perfections of that lovely dame, had I sufficient skill to utter them, would make a volume of enticing lines, able to ravish any dull conceit, and which is more, she is not so divine, so full, replete with choice of all delights, but with as humble lowliness of mind, she is content to be at your command. Command, I mean, of virtuous chastened hence, to love and honor Henry as her lord. And otherwise will Henry ne'er presume. Therefore, my lord protector, give consent that Margaret may be England's royal queen. So should I give consent to flatter sin? You know, my lord, your highness is betrothed unto another lady of esteem. How shall we then dispense with that contract and not deface your honor with reproach? As doth a ruler with unlawful oaths, or one that at a triumph having vowed to try his strength, forsaketh yet the lists by reason of his adversary's odds. A poor earl's daughter is on equal odds, and therefore may be broke without offense. Why, what, I pray, is Margaret more than that? Her father is no better than an earl, although in glorious titles he excel. Yes, Lord, her father is a king, the king of Naples and Jerusalem, and of such great authority in France as his alliance will confirm our peace and keep the Frenchmen in allegiance. And so the Earl of Armagnac may do, because he is near kinsman unto Charles. Besides, his wealth doth warrant a liberal dower, where Renier sooner will receive than give. <laughs> dower, my lords. Disgrace not so your king that he should be so abject, base, and poor to choose wealth and not for perfect love. Henry is able to enrich his queen and not seek a queen to make him rich. So worthless peasants bargain for their wives as market men for oxen, sheep, or horse. Marriage is a matter of more worth than to be dealt in by attorneyship. Not whom we will, but whom his grace affects must be companion of his nuptial bed. And therefore, lords, since he affects her most, in most of all these reasons, bindeth us, in our opinions, she should be preferred. And for what is wedlock forced but a hell, an age of discord and continual strife, whereas the contrary bringeth bliss and is a pattern of celestial peace? 
whom should we match with Henry being a king? But Margaret, that is daughter to a king. Her peerless feature, joined with her birth, approves her fit for none but a king. Her valiant courage and undaunted spirit, more than in woman commonly is seen, will answer our hope in issue of a king. For Henry, son unto a conqueror, is likely to beget more conquerors if with a lady of so high resolve, as his fair Margaret, he be linked in love. Then yield, my lords, and here conclude with me that Margaret shall be queen and none but she. Whether it be through force of your report, my noble lord of Suffolk, or for that my tender youth was never yet attained with any passion of inflaming love, I cannot tell. But this I am assured. I feel such sharp dissension in my breast, such fierce alarms both of hope and fear, as I am sick with working of my thoughts. Take, therefore, shipping. Post, my lord, to France. Agree to any covenants and procure that Lady Margaret do vouchsafe to come to cross the seas to England and be crowned King Henry's faithful and anointed queen. For your expense and sufficient charge among the people, gather up a tenth. Be gone, I say, till you do return. I rest perplexed with a thousand cares. And you, good uncle, banish all offense. If you do censure me by what you were, not what you are, I know it will excuse this sudden execution of my will. And so, conduct me where from company I may revolve and ruminate my grief. Exit. I grief, I fear me, both at first and last. Exit Gloucester and Exeter. Thus Suffolk hath prevailed, and thus he goes, as did the youthful parents once to Greece, with hope to find the like event in love, that prosper better than the Trojan did. Margaret shall now be queen, and rule the king, but I will rule both her, the king, and the realm. Exit. <laughs>